What's up, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm all right. It was a, an exciting sports weekend that saw the Texas Longhorns nearly collapse. <laughs> uh, my fantasy teams were both decent, but I also had B. John Robinson and Deshaun Watson on one, so I'm not going to win that league, unfortunately, because you can't have uh, your number one pick and quarterback go for minus 0.5 points. Two soccer games and a volleyball match. Oh. And then, of course, the uh, game six last night, too, which I, as a Rangers fan, I chose not to watch. You chose not to watch that? Yep. Oh, man, I watched. Uh, I was texting BK a little bit last night about it. I, I had the pleasure of watching that game in the sports office with Bob Ballou, our sports director. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas. Yes, yes. And and he does kind of what I do with the Dodgers, where when you, you suffer a little bit of heartbreak, then you're just like, I'm, I'm uninvesting. Like, I'm not doing it anymore. I can't do this. And then the game starts, and you're just locked in. So, so I, I did I'll, that. I, I said, I can't, like, that game five really hurt, and I can get over it pretty quickly. But I'm like, I don't want to go through that sort of emotional turmoil again tonight. So if anything, somebody will let me know if the Rangers won which Kevin Dunn did just shortly after 10 o'clock. So I went back and watched the game this morning. I said, you know what? I'll watch the full game tonight. And I have to, if I have to suffer through this heartbreak one more time, then I guess I will. Do you have to like, do not disturb your phone? Because whenever one of my teams plays in a big game, like mainly the Dodgers, the Lakers back in the day when they were actually playing in meaningful games late, like I would have to I just block everything out. Actually, mainly really with the Dodgers because the Lakers back then that wasn't the phone wasn't really much of an issue. But I'd I'd have to block it out because I'd get a te- like it, would, it wouldn't even be that they would spoil it for me. It would just be they would be so negative, and I, I don't need help going to that place with the right. Dodgers. Like we've just been kicked in the nuts so many times uh, that I I don't I don't I don't I don't need your help on that. Or they'll text me like five minutes after the game, and I'm just like. I do not want to text from you five minutes after I just had my heart ripped out of my chest again. Yeah, people love to do that. I actually did have to mute a couple of text groups that I'm on because they were talking about the game. And I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Like my wife and I were watching a Netflix show last night and it was tempting at points between seven and 10 to at least check the phone to see what was going on with the score. But I said, no, I am choosing not to watch this entire game. And somebody will let me know at the end of the game what happened. And I get the call from Kevin Dunn at like 10.05, 10.10. And I know Kevin is reverse doctor's office. Doctor's office only calls you with bad news. <laughs> Give you a call if it's something bad. Hey, how about if it's something good? How about deliver good news for once? How about not leave me hanging for a week wondering if something bad's coming down the pike? Yeah, how about just, hey, Trey, your blood work looked awesome. Keep up the great work with your uh, with your diet. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Kevin only calls with the good news. So he called and said, there's going to be a game seven, buddy. I'm like, all right, if you're messing with me right now, we're about to not be friends anymore. And then at that point, I checked my phone knowing that he probably wasn't messing with me like that because that's not his style. And sure enough, Rangers win the game nine to two. It was not an authoritative win necessarily because it was a very close game until the ninth inning. But I was glad for my Rangers, uh, fellow Rangers fans who were watching the ninth inning. They didn't have to sweat it out in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, it's been, um, and from my perspective, it's been interesting watching this series because, you know, the the last two years, the Dodgers, for the first time in a while, haven't played in really, I mean, they made the playoffs, but they haven't played in really meaningful games. So it's been interesting watching now my friends, like being not necessarily fans of these two teams, but have a bunch of friends here living in Texas as long as I have that just live and die with these two teams. 
and obviously one side in the Houston fans who have been through it a bunch, and then the Rangers fans who haven't been through it in forever. And the last time they did, it was just total heartbreak. So it's been it's been almost fun for me to just like sit back and I love playoff baseball regardless of who's playing, um, and just not really have like any skin in the game and you know, just sort of sit and like watch and enjoy a baseball game. And then like laugh to myself and my friends who are just losing their minds and being like, you know what, like that would, that would be me or hopefully will be me again soon in a big game. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I had forgotten about how nerve wracking it had been because it had literally oh. been just about a decade since the Texas Rangers have been a part of playoff baseball. It was 2014. And in that series, they were limping to the finish line that year. And I think that was the series where they got their heart ripped out by Toronto, maybe, uh, where Batista had the big bat flip. But yeah. anyhow, like you didn't have expectations for the Rangers then. Like I really had to go back to the uh, the the World Series runs, the consecutive World Series runs to uh, to recall that feeling. But Game Five, that was a tough one. That was a gut punch enough that I was like, you know what? If they lose, like a lot of people were predicting them to do in Game Six, which I wasn't. I didn't necessarily believe that would happen because this team has shown a sort of grit all year long. I'm like, I just, I don't even care to watch. If there's a game seven, I will tune back in, but otherwise I'm just going to try my hardest to ignore. And so now you have people like Cooter saying that I need to not change what I'm doing. They'll happily give me play by play, but keep the TV off. See, I can't do that Cooter, but I'm also not superstitious. Falls just on a, a baseball little, team. Just a little stitious. I'm not. <laughs> mildly stitious. Um, if I was on a baseball team, I would have no problem talking to the pitcher five innings into a no hitter. I don't believe in those things. <laughs> you'd be the one. You'd be the one guy that goes up to him and goes, "Dude, you haven't had a hit yet." Yeah, give me the give me the black hat to run in front of myself as I'm walking under a ladder. I don't believe in superstition, and I've also already promised my kids that they can stay up as late as they want to to watch Game Seven tonight because I need to make sure. As a uh, dad, I'm not going to call myself a good dad because there are things I do well and things that are probably going to require years of therapy. But as a uh, as a dad who tries to teach the value of sports, I also need to uh, try and teach them the uh, or give them a proper understanding for sports heartbreak and uh, also just how important Game 7s are too. So uh, they cried their first sports tears, I guess it was, yeah, it was earlier this year because it was when the Texas basketball team lost to Miami in the Elite Eight. So they may be suffering some more sports tears before it's all said and done today. And I think the best part of doing that, Trey, I mean, my parents did the same thing with me, is it makes it that much sweeter than when they do get over the hump or they do get over the mountaintop. And, and you know, you kind of know in the back of your mind that maybe it'll maybe it'll never happen. But that for me is like, OK, if the Dodgers, if they ever end up winning a true um we don't need to start this whole thing about the 2020 World Series, but if they win a 162 game, a World Series that follows a 162 game season, that will be so much sweeter because of all the times that I've just had my heart ripped out. And same thing, if the Rangers win this one tonight and they win the World Series, it'll be the same thing for them. It'll be, hey, remember how we felt in 2010 and 2011, and now we're now we're on the mountaintop here. And sometimes it never happens. Sometimes it takes forever. Sometimes. You know, I mean, even Houston fans, I know it's hard in the moment for people to have that conversation now, but I mean, they were so shitty for so long. So even they, you know, as polarizing as they've become because of other things, like even they had to deal with it for a while and finally uh, got to feel that success. And it just makes it, it makes it that much sweeter. But the intensity, we were talking, just talking about that, the intensity of every moment, every pitch in the playoffs, like a leadoff walk. And you're like, 
oh my God, you're just losing it. LeClerc last night with the bases loaded, having to get two outs right there, and he does. Like it, the intensity of those moments is so much fun. And I mentioned I was sitting in the, our sports office with Bob when we were getting the show ready. I said at one point, like he was standing up. We have two TVs on like either side of the wall, and then our desks are right here. I was sitting in my chair and kind of like slid away, and he was standing up like this, just yeah. like that. And I said to him at one point, I go, I'm kind of in a perfect spot for you to like, I was just to his left for you to like punch me in the face, regardless of what happens here, like a, like an exciting one or just like a, he gave up a grand slam and I'm just going to like take it out on you right now, chief. Mm. Obviously kidding, but it was just, it was just fun. Like living in those, those intense moments and living and dying on every pitch, like even not having a, a dog in the fight, but being friends and, you know, coworkers with somebody that did. I'm fairly stoic with my reactions to my sports teams at the age of 45, but the baseball playoffs have definitely evoked uh, more of a, a visceral response out of me, more of an animalistic response, both good and bad. And like with the Texas football team, like we watched Texas really shit the bed in the second until I guess midway through the fourth quarter is uh, is when you started to feel a little bit better about things. Although obviously Houston had that last drive in a bad spot, which isn't the reason why Houston lost that game. Houston lost that game as much for the two turn two turnovers that they had in the second half as they did that bad spot. But uh, even watching Texas shit the bed or watching them do well, like I was just sitting there watching the game, making mental notes. But the Texas-Alabama game earlier this year, I was responding like it was playoff baseball because – one, it was that big of a matchup, and it was seemingly such a seminal moment for this program to pull off such a massive upset. But yeah, playoff baseball is unique. It's uh, it's it's unparalleled. As boring as baseball can be at times in the regular season, going pitch to pitch in the playoffs, especially once you're uh, once you're down the stretch, once you're through the seventh inning stretch, it's a uh, it's a fun time. And I'm glad that we as Rangers fans get to deal with that once again. And you got. You've not only been able to deal with it with the Dodgers for a while now, you guys got what one, two World Series? How many World Series have you won in the last five years? One, right? Yeah, just just twenty twenty. And that was the first one in my lifetime because I wasn't uh I wasn't around in eighty nine for the Gibson home run. Yeah. Huh. Well, were you and Bob in Houston for the Longhorns win over the Cougars? We 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 were and, and Trey, before we uh dive into that, sure. there was a comment here earlier. Barker thinks Texas played great Saturday. What? How am I getting this reputation for like being like the eternal optimist? That's literally, I feel like that's literally the opposite of what I said. Is this just like, is this just like the stereotype with like TV people that we're just like PC and like everything's great and everything's rosy? Like defense play like shit in that game. I like, think Ario's Ario just messing with you. I feel like he said something similar the previous week. Yeah. Or after the OU game, so no, I, just, I just think it's funny when we get those comments, and I'm like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm pretty critical when it's yeah. warranted on here. You know. By the way, thank you, Jake. You're right. The Rangers made, last made the uh, postseason in 2016. Appreciate the correction there. Yeah. Billy says, listening to the Kale Gundy on an Oklahoma sports radio station where I live. Unfortunately, Quinn wasn't hurt on the hit. That was the opposite shoulder. Quinn was actually hurt earlier in the game. No, that's what Steve Sarkeesian said after the game, too. That was actually the third quarter sack. And it looked like he fell pretty innocuously. But that's the weird thing about AC joint injuries is it just takes landing a certain way. And you will uh, you will pop that joint out of place, essentially, or create a separation there that then pr- 
causes all sorts of instability with that right shoulder. Yeah, it was the yeah, it was that sack. I guess that was the third quarter, right? Yeah, late in the third quarter. Way through the third um, quarter, yeah. It was yeah, right. It was, it was the, literally the play after because I went back and watched it several times just to try and see. It was literally the play after uh, Jalen Ford's sack, forced fumble that was recovered by one of the defensive linemen. Couple plays before Savion Red's seventeenth fourth down conversion of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that you, you could see it when you go back and look, you could totally see it on that hit. Cause I mean, the, the, the commenter's right. Like the big, big hit where it, what happened after he goes into him with the opposite shoulder. Still, yeah. you can't, you can't take that hit, you know? And again, easy for us to say here where it's like, we have the benefit of the yellow line and hindsight and we're not the ones holding the ball and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you, you gotta sl- slide on that and just make it fourth and five and make your coach make a decision. Because even if he had run over that guy, it was still going to be what fourth and one or fourth and two or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was the play, like you said, a couple one. I can't remember the name of the guy that sacked him, but he fell right on that right shoulder. And uh, in the moment, like it kind of just looked like a normal sack. But I think that's sort of how those those things go. In and in a lot of ways, is like all it has to do is just hit a certain spot, fall a certain way, and you know then. Here, here we are, ready to talk about Malik Murphy and Arch Manning. Yeah, um, but the offense is not the problem right now. No. Even though they went uh, pretty dormant from the second through large chunks of the uh, second quarter all the way through large chunks of the second half, the problem right now is the defense. And this is a defense that started to show some holes against Oklahoma and maybe it's a byproduct of this team lucking out and playing a lot of backup quarterbacks through their first five opponents or guys who weren't very good at throwing the football or maybe it's a a bit of the injury thing or maybe it is more schematic than we realize but this Texas secondary is bad right now and it's one that maybe BYU doesn't take advantage of but you know with as good of a coach as Chris Kleiman is that here in a couple weeks when Kansas State comes to town with Will Howard seemingly getting back on track and then working with a really effective quarterback rotation right now with the Wildcats, that game goes from one that you feel really good at about to one that you don't feel very good about. And that's before you even start to think of the fact that it's likely going to be Malik Murphy or Arch Manning back there at quarterback for you. Yeah, and you mentioned that K-State game. They, I think they just announced that they put that in the six-day window. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of people thinking the same thing as you Trey, that that could end up being a really really huge and impactful game um for texas for kansas state just for the entire outlook of of the conference going into the last three weeks of the season there after after they play that game um but yeah i think you know in this with the way the spot in the game that it happened it made sense with the way that they used malik murphy down the stretch where i mean he threw two passes and you'd like to think maybe with the benefit of starting the game a whole week of practice as the starter, extra reps, more time with the receivers, um, you know, starting as the um, starting the week as the starter, that maybe he hits that third down to A.D. Mitchell there that continue that drive, and maybe they even close it out a little um, in a little bit more smooth way than they had to right there with finally making a stop down in the red zone. Um, but, you know, his one completion was a little dump-off swing pass to Jordan Whittington, so we really don't know what we're getting yet. I mean, we can listen to Sark all we want. Um, I actually, I did a quick Zoom call that um, with Danny Hernandez, who's uh, known Malik for a while. He's his quarterback coach in Southern California. 
Uh, we're going to run some of that in our, our shows this week and just kind of getting some insight into, you know, somebody who knows him well. Danny started coaching him in, in fourth grade and just hearing him talk about the leadership qualities that he brings and all that stuff. And I think Sark's touched on that. Players have touched on that. We know that, that Malik has that, but we just haven't seen the physical skill set unleashed in a meaningful game yet. You know, all we all we really have to go off of is the deep ball through to Jonte Cook in the spring game, which was a nice pass, and then some of the other couple of nice passes in the in the spring game outside of that, and then um, one I think in uh, maybe Rice when he came in at the end and zipped one to like DeAndre Moore or somebody like that at the end. So, yeah, really curious to see, uh, you know, what we get out of Malik, and then also what the leash is with him too, knowing the guy that's sitting behind him. And also too, fair to, fair to throw out, like, are they going to split these guys up? Like, is, is it just going to be Malik unless something happens or uh, is it going to be a rotation? So I don't know if how much thought you've put into that yet, Trey, with it, you know, it's only been about a week and a half. Yeah. I've thought about it a little bit. I'll say this about Malik because obviously we're, we're in wait and see mode to, to see what happens with them with a full week to prepare as his team starter. And that's not even guaranteed right now. It sounds like Sark is trying to operate on a sort of meritocracy and whichever guy is better in practice this week is the guy who will get the nod. But if it is Malik, um, obviously he has the arm talents. I think that he was maybe a little bit too amped up in the game on Saturday, which is completely understandable. That's a really difficult spot to come into. Exactly. So unexpectedly, in the latter part of the fourth quarter of a game that had become a tight ball game, a game that you thought was in hand at the end of the first quarter, up by three freaking touchdowns. On Yeah, on the road, you didn't think it was – nobody in their right mind thought that was going to be a close game anyway. Becomes a close game, then Quinn goes out in the time that he did. Yeah, just not a whole lot you can take from that. I mean, I guess you got to give him some credit for the poise and maturity to just – not that I want to give that credit for handing the ball off to two really good running backs, but he – held it together he didn't make any stupid mistakes and granted they didn't even really let him but there were really no catastrophic snap issues a couple where it looked like maybe they were off a little bit um after the change but but yeah i mean he held it down enough to just do what he needed to do and move on and then get the week to prepare yeah and credit jake majors by the way for uh playing through the pain they wanted cole hudson to start that game to give jake majors at least one more week off but hudson suffered a setback in his recovery Jake Majors, who is an absolute gamer, decided to step up and start at center, and perhaps that helps Texas win the game when it's all said and done. But Malik Murphy, his one downfield throw was obviously him throwing it about as hard and fast as he could. Uh, He's going to have to take a little bit off of his throws if he is going to complete passes consistently. But I will say this about Malik Murphy. Having watched him on the sidelines from the stands for the last couple of years now, the guy stays engaged and he stays ready. And he's always talking to his teammates. He's always warming up just in case. Now, he can always stay warm, then also get forced into action, and it becomes a very different beast. But I like his demeanor on the sidelines, I guess, speaking to your natural leadership comment from a minute ago. And I think that this team, given the opportunity, is going to rally around him. So it becomes, can he play within the offense that is created for him this weekend, if it is Malik or if it's Arch? Because you feel like Sark is not going to try and put too much on his plate. And he really is going to be more of a game manager than he is a guy being asked to throw it 30 plus times to be a pretty pedestrian BYU team. What they're most likely going to do is continue running 
a lot with Jonathan Brooks. He got 20 carries in the game, and I think he had eight catches as well. A lot of dump-offs happening after that sack in the third quarter, which that's, you know, you start to piece these things together. That's starting to make a whole lot more sense now. Brooks had 50 receiving yards. Yeah, 50 receiving yards. You're probably going to see C.J. Baxter get closer to 15 to 20 carries, too, Mm -hmm. I would imagine, and allow Malik or Arch to make a lot of their throws off of play action because the defense is so geared up to stopping the run. Now, here's where them being game managers becomes important. BYU handled Texas Tech last weekend, not because they were game breakers on offense. Keaton Slovis, the former USC quarterback, he was extremely average they were oh they were good running the football but they didn't run it a ton they were good because they forced three interceptions by the texas tech third string quarterback so you have to avoid turnovers and if malik murphy can't do that early in the game if he is the guy then i imagine we're not going to see that mile long leash that quinn ewers had last year they will very quickly go to arch manning because they realize that their season is on the line and they can't afford to allow a guy to let uh, an interception or two uh, snowball into three or four before the day's all said and done. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up about BYU because that that's a great point. When you go back and look at that score and then you look at the situation that Texas is entering this game with, similar situation that Tech entered that game with against BYU, and they forced a young, inexperienced quarterback into, into three interceptions. So they're probably licking their chops, trying to sit or sitting there saying in Provo this week, we're going to do the same thing to this guy. Granted, I don't think the level of talent at backup quarterback is the same. So let's let's make that very clear um, between, you know, tech and then UT right now. Yeah, and but, it's also tech's third string quarterback, too. So right. they were down one more guy at that position. Yeah. And they're in their third string quarterbacks, not Arch Manning, you know. Hell, their third string quarterback might not even be UT's fourth string quarterback, Charles Wright. Like, I don't, I don't know much about the guy, but you know, no, the, the, the third string quarterback is about what Baylor's backup quarterback is. Okay, that was well, so earlier you, this year, and he wasn't very good. You, you mentioned too the the game plan from the Texas staff this week of, you know, just be a game manager. You have so many offensive weapons. I mean, it, it really is, it really is so insane when you go through it. Like. They don't have a ton of a receiver. They don't have a ton of depth in terms of guys that are really proven. But the three they have, we talked about this a bunch, the skill sets all really complement each other. Um, and now you have two running backs right now who look really good. I want to talk about C.J. Baxter a little bit more and, and the impact that he had. But just back to the game plan for these quarterbacks this week, um, whether it's Malik or Arch or both or whatever it ends up being, I worry a little bit too much or a little bit with too much of the, like, game manager dink and dunk just like stuff the you know just try to stuff it down their throats with the run because you want your guys to be confident when they do get up when they do get into inevitable passing obvious passing situations yeah and sometimes i wonder a little bit with too conservative of a game plan or too run oriented of a game plan that maybe you're um you know maybe you're gonna run into that situation where now it's oh well, we're not running the ball well or they're, they're selling out to stop that and it's two quick three and outs, and we're now judging a quarterback based on his first two throws. Do you want the newest smartphone with the latest features and, like, and a great... So I, I I think you'll see Sark come out with a really good opening script this week, and whoever it is just trying little ways to get easy completions and probably less of the thinking and the decision-making that they put on Quinn and the reading this, reading that, whatever it may be. And just, hey, we're going to call a pass play and we're going to say, A.D. Mitchell, go win your one-on-one. Xavier Worthy, go win your one-on-one. Or even just the little pass we saw him throw to 
um, to Jordan Whittington, stuff like that to get him into rhythm and seven yard chunk plays like that. And then you run it and just different things to where it's not like hand the ball off, hand the ball off. Oh shit. That didn't work because they sold out to stop it. And now I'm asking him to try to throw a pass 14 yards down the field on third down when everyone in the world knows we're passing. The game against Houston really turned on Saturday on one bizarre play call near the end of the second quarter. That was a fake field goal attempt on what was a fourth and six. Texas had already had a lot of success on fourth down against a Houston defense that was literally one of the worst in the country at stopping the opposing team from getting a first down on fourth down in that Houston defense. Uh, From you as somebody who was watching it at field level, was that play call as curious to you as it was all of us watching on television? Too freaking cute. Yeah. It's just like one of those where, and I'll give Sark a ton of credit for the play calling earlier in the game. That first quarter, I mean, and again, not that Houston is the 85 Bears on the defensive side of the ball, but that was some unbelievable play calling. Like there were some sequences there where that first drive where they threw, uh, they had the play to Xavier and then they ran hurry up. And then the very next play, they get AD Mitchell wide open on a, on a long out route. I mean, that was, that was textbook. Um, but it's some of those decisions where it's like, just stop handing out momentum. Like I would, if you want to do that, you want to do something like that? Don't freaking flip the ball to Burt Auburn. Just go for it. Right. Just go for it and try to get six yards. And I'm not going to sit here and say I wouldn't have potentially criticized that decision, but I would have at least been able to sit here and say, not that we would have ever been talking about a fake field goal because that wasn't in anyone's mind. Again, which probably you know, was why Sark did it. Um, but I, on that one, I'm like, just kick the field goal, go up 24 to seven. And then it's just maybe Houston goes down and scores just like they did, but it's not a feeling of, momentum and and a rise in adrenaline when their offense then comes back out onto the field at the 25 after a touchback or even if it's a good return you know like that momentum was just different it was almost like houston houston got second life right there they had the touchdown to make it 21 7 before that and it was just like oh shit we can make this a one score game they probably weren't even thinking about the you know another touchdown but they're going hey we get the ball to tie it uh, or we, we get the ball to start the half with a chance to tie it which is what they ended up doing um, but yeah, I just think you, you go up three scores right there and you just let your defense continue to play defense. Um, uh, I didn't like it, but one thing that was interesting that Sark said in the post game was he had said that when they, they planned that it was similar to the fake punt where they had it in, they had it in the game plan and they said, we're going to try to weave this in at some point if it, if it works, you know, fake punts a little bit easier like that. But he did say, we haven't run a fake field goal in three years and I guess what they saw was that Houston was rushing the guy that maybe ended up making the tackle. There was, there was a couple guys that they were rushing no matter what, every time. And I'm paraphrasing what Sark said here and they didn't do it on that play. So he said something to the effect of like, you'll have to ask Dana why they didn't rush that guy. So I'm wondering like the gamesmanship there, or what, what, who saw what Sark saw, what Dana saw, like, but just overall the decision of it, Trey, I see you rolling your eyes. I'm sure you agree. It just, it just wasn't worth the risk. It's infuriating for a couple of reasons, some of which you've talked about already, Jeff. One, just put your offense back out there, man. Like, they'd been having their way with that Houston defense. And again, the Houston defense was has been really bad on fourth downs all throughout the year. 
Also, I hate the distance for a play like that. If you are going to try and run that play, picking up a yard or two or maybe three is reasonable. Asking Burt Auburn to make guys miss to pick up six yards, that is a huge amount of territory that he's having to make up to get to the first down chains. That, that's that's why I was laughing, not at your comment. I was laughing because it's, you're asking Burt Auburn to get six yards for you, or seven yards, basically. And he made one guy miss. He did make one guy miss, to his credit. And how embarrassing for that Houston defender, too, by the way. But also, this just... It's the latest example in a long line of examples that we have of Steve Sarkeesian making very questionable decisions as you get near the end of the half. I do not like him as a game manager at the ends of halves. I think that he panics when he doesn't need to panic and he's working without a sense of urgency at times or there needs to be more urgency. And he just makes a lot of curious decisions. And this is just another one of those. And I would tell him, I wouldn't say this in a press conference setting, of course, because that would be very unprofessional. But I would tell him in response to the, we haven't run a fake field goal in three years. Why don't you make it five the next time, Steve? Because (laughs) it was a terrible time to pull that one out. Especially with your offense, having the trust and confidence in everybody. Nobody would have blamed Steve Sarkeesian for going for it on fourth down right there. Especially because of Burt Auburn's struggles past 40 yards this year, even though he kind of righted that ship against Oklahoma. Nobody would have blamed you for going for it on fourth down right there on a fourth and six. Nobody would have blamed you for trying a field goal right there, Steve. But a lot of people are asking legitimate questions because of how you chose to go for it with the field goal unit out there. Yeah, I think I got a couple texts from from buddies watching the game after that. Like something, and I totally agreed. Some of the effective, you have the better team. Just go kick their ass. Just go play and beat their ass. Like, I'm not saying it's always that simple. Houston has a lot of talent, like even a lot of just skill talent, I would say. They cannot compete with Texas in the trenches. No. Like, go whoop their ass. You have the better team. Some situations where, like, that's a, to me, that's a desperate move that you would have thought Houston would have made to say, hey, we need to do something flashy and out of the ordinary to go beat this team. Like, it's not just going to take, it's not just going to take like our B to B plus game is going to beat this team. Like a lot of, like Sark, to his credit, this staff has gotten the roster now to the point where their B to B plus can beat a lot of teams. So and I'm not saying they're looking at it. It's an awful way of looking at it going into the game, but you kind of know that, like, especially when you're playing a team like Houston to where they have enough talent to beat you if you go play like shit and you make dumb mistakes and then some crazy shit happens in the game where quarterback gets hurt and you know backups got to come in late in the game like like if they had lost that game after those circumstances yeah you would you would understand that but dude you have the better team like you said Trey no one would blame you for going for it on fourth down there and just putting your best players out there your best players are on the offensive side of the ball let them go make plays Yeah, and he didn't do it right there, and it was a failure. And unfortunately, it wasn't the largest failure on the day for Texas. And look, the criticism that we're levying right now are because we have high expectations for this football team and this program right now, and they are falling short of those. Ultimately, yeah, a win is a win at the end of the day. Even if you don't feel good about how you won, you did still gut it out and win this game. And it's a matchup that a lot of years in the last – 14 years or so since that most recent national championship game appearance, 
you found plenty of ways to lose games like this, including sure. in the C. Sarkeesian era, too. You can go back to last year to find great examples of that, certainly in year one as well. So, yes, a win is a win. But the worst aspect of this game for Texas and a reason why any confidence that you had that this team could accomplish special things in 2023 is at least for right now out the window is just how bad the secondary play has been these last two games. 100%. I know some of it goes on the corners. Ryan Watts being out, clearly a big deal. They had to put Jade Barron in in the second half, even though they didn't want to play him because he was dealing with a minor injury issue that they thought they could uh, get him some rest. Well, he was he was clear and he was cleared really late in the week too. Right, cleared late in the week. There is an enormous issue right now with the safety position, and I get it. The guys are injured at safety. Uh, Jalen Catalan being hurt, while not a huge shock, is you know a starter who is not on the field for you. But the safeties who are out there are, in their own special ways, disasters in coverage. Michael Taff had a big interception, a ball that, as BK put it last hour, Jeff, you or I could have intercepted, but I guess at least he was over there. He got burned a bunch. Jaron Thompson got burned a bunch. Keaton Crawford should not be out on the field anymore, um, probably at all defensively. You can put him out there on special teams. He's a good gunner, but he's just too big of a liability at the safety position. And I like what I saw out of Derek Williams early. He did get burned one or two times, but I feel like there was a point in the game that we were no longer seeing him out there too. Uh, Texas safeties are atrocious right now. And as long as that continues to be the case, you're going to see opposing offenses go right at them with their passing attacks. Yeah. And I, you know, not to make an excuse, like at corner, at least like you were talking about the safeties at corner with Ryan Watts out. And you just wonder like how much longer that's going to linger that would really help to get him back. Not that he's like a true shutdown on one side of the field, but his experience, his length, the plays that he's able to make, um, kind of just what he does to the way, you know, an offense might game plan or a quarterback might go about progressions or uh, where he's throwing the ball. That would be huge to have him back. When he's not in, they're really stinking young at corner. Yeah. I mean, that was basically, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Trey, but that was like basically most of the game, what, Man, Manny Muhammad on the outside, a true freshman who was guarding high school receivers last year, and then Terrence Brooks, who's a sophomore. You'd like to see a little bit more out of him now halfway through his sophomore year when he played a decent amount as a true freshman, but still a really young guy. Like maybe he makes, you know, turns the corner here soon, um, or maybe that's next year when it happens for him. But yeah, in the secondary, um, I love Michael Taff. I love the story. Uh, he was, I, I love his story of being, you know, he was going to go to Rice on a scholarship. He basically had G, G5 offers like that out of Westlake. And dude made some unbelievable plays when he was winning state titles for the, those Westlake teams, Kate Klubnik and Jaden Greathouse and all those guys. But yeah, you, you can tell that he needs a little more seasoning out there on the field at this level. Um, and then Jaron Thompson's one where you would like a little bit more out of a guy that's that experienced and a guy that we've seen it from too. We've seen him make plays. Um, but I, I think part of the issue too is they don't have just like a true awesome ball hawk safety. It doesn't look like right now. Like I know a, a Catalan hasn't been playing much lately and, and Barron, um, not a safety, but still just in the secondary overall, they just seem like they have a lot of guys. You mentioned Keaton Crawford that are really good, almost like the safety hybrid linebacker where, yeah, yeah they can, they can cover in the, you know, in, in the, in the boundary in some spots, or maybe, um, you know, in the flats and the intermediate routes and those kind of things, 
but they're not necessarily like true cover guys. And what they really want to do is come down and make a hit, <laughs> make a huge hit. That's what Catalan wants to do. And even watching watching Jade, like that dude is an unbelievable open field tackler. Like, I don't know if it's even a conversation whether or not he's the best open field tackler on this team. Um, but right now, this team, they need guys in coverage. They need dudes that can that can do both, to be honest. <laughs> they, need, they need guys that can, like those crossing patterns, Trey, were just, I mean, you at, at home with the benefit of like, I, I didn't have the overhead view until I went back and watched the game. But like, you must have just been losing your mind on those crossing patterns. We're just, every time on a third long or third medium, it was just to freaking zero with no gloves, like looking like he's like right out of, you know, a double wing offense in 1965. Yeah. Far too often he was man, Jack, the fourth. <laughs> it's a great last name. And far too often he is being covered by a safety. And you're right about these safeties. They all love coming up and hitting and running downhill to help with the run. But that's a small part of what you're asked to do at that safety spot. And if there aren't more guys that are currently at the position right now who are, I know they're willing participants in coverage. They're just not very good at it. If if you're not better in coverage, you need to find more guys who are. Like Derek Williams is a great find out of the state of Louisiana. I mean, he's already starting games for this team halfway through his true freshman season. As you said, Michael Taft's a nice story. And he has pretty high football IQ, but we also saw him with some misses on Saturday and we saw him get burned. Now, sometimes it was a result of another guy not doing his job too, but Michael Taff is limited with what he's capable of physically. Jaron Thompson may be the most disappointing player on this roster right now in 2023 in terms of what the expectation was with him this year versus the reality of how he has played, especially over these last couple of games Anthony Hill was kind of that ball hawk for you last year at safety. and But Jared Thompson has always had that quality about him, too. I don't know what has happened with him. He was part of the problem with the coverage bust on Oklahoma's final touchdown a couple weeks ago. You know, David Benda and him are, you know, they get mixed up on who's taking the tight end to the outside and who's going to take the wide receiver who is working his way toward the sideline halfway into the end zone. Like, that probably needed to be Jaron Thompson's guy right there. And to be fair on both sides of this too, and this is something that, um, you know, somebody pointed out and I was like, oh yeah, that, that's a, that's a great point. Two sacks. Now, granted the Jalen Ford sack that Vernon Broughton fell on, that was a huge sack. That was, that was critical. Um, but the other sack in the game was, was Alfred Collins in the first quarter. Really? Yeah. I think that was the first drive of the game. He sacked Donovan Smith. Um, and I think they ended up forcing a three and out, but outside of that, he had way too much time to just pick Texas apart and to wait for all these, you know, the crossing patterns are great, but if you're getting pressure on a guy and he can't sit there and wait for the crossing patterns to confuse the linebackers and the secondary and the corners and whose man is this, whose zone is that, whatever defense somebody's running, then like pressure just immediately takes those out of play. It's like, I heard people like, well, how do you stop these crossing routes? You get freaking pressure on the quarterback, man. Yeah. And you don't even let him get to the point where he's reading which, you know, corner got caught up where. And there's, you know, the crossing patterns are essentially like a gray area between like a, a pick route and those kind of things where you see maybe more closer to the line of scrimmage. You see those all the time on like goal line plays or two point conversions or short yarded situations where those pick plays get called offensive PI quite a bit. You see a lot in the NFL too. And 
I got to say the pass rush, like we're one or two more disappointing games away from saying like, did we maybe kind of anoint this pass rush and this D line a little too soon? I mean, it just, just in terms of, of pass rush, because 14 rushing yards, like I don't care who you're playing, man. Like I don't, I don't care if it's, you know, it, Texas playing Westlake next week or something. You hold anybody to 14 rushing yards. That's pretty damn good, especially in a conference game on the road, but 378 yards through the air. So it's kind of a, kind of a mixed bag with that D line there where, you know, guys like Tavondre sweat up front, you're like, they're doing their job stopping the run, but you need a little more pressure on the quarterback too. And that will, I think, you know, help out the secondary, obviously. I mean, that's captain obvious right there, but well, I think that there was a certain point in the game where Houston wasn't even really trying to run the ball anymore. I mean, their leading ball carrier had nine rushes for 23 yards, and 12 of those came on one run. So this is mm-hmm. a point in the game where you could essentially allow your guys to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And Kwiatkowski, most of the time, likes that organic pressure from that front four or maybe five, but sometimes he gets into that bad Todd Orlando habit where he sends guys on blitzes from deep. And it's like, get them closer to the line of scrimmage. You need to make this happen much faster. Clearly giving the quarterback this much time is exposing whatever hole has been created by that player vacating his position to, to come try and get after the quarterback from eight steps off the line of scrimmage. And I would also have Anthony Hill doing less traditional linebacker stuff in a situation like that where like very clearly the opposing team is only going to throw the football going forward. Let Anthony Hill do what he's best at. Put him in that Micah Parsons role, or I guess last year's Micah Parsons role. I know the Cowboys are having Parsons do a little bit more this year, where you are almost exclusively sending him off the edge because he is so good in that role. Like he blitzed some of the time on Saturday, but he was also chasing guys all over the field too. I mean, he's he's not totally uh He's not totally faultless in terms of uh, what was happening with the Houston passing attack. He's not as negligent as, as the safeties of the cornerbacks or even his fellow linebackers were at times. But I think you're putting him in a lesser position, and I don't quite understand why. Like Maybe it's because you have less trust in a David Benda or Maurice Blackwell in that situation. But put him on the edge and let him make a tackle's life miserable and hopefully the quarterback's life miserable too, like what he was able to do so well in that Alabama game. Trey, I think his role, not to oversimplify Pete Kwiatkowski's job, and he's obviously a, <laughs> shown his defensive genius at multiple different places. And, um, you know, not that we can't sit here and say that, hey, trying to continue to get to rush your traditional three or four, whatever it may be, this is for, goes for any defensive coordinator. If you're not getting it, you're not getting it, and you need to change some things up. But I think Pete Kwiatkowski needs to just say, Anthony Hill, for the rest of the season, see ball, get ball. I mean, because it's just the talent is unbelievable with him and just the raw talent. And he has good, I think he has good football instincts. Like, yeah, he makes some fresher mistakes here and there, but every mistake he makes, he makes playing his ass off. On the late, on the late hit out of bounds, which, oh my God, man. He basically got like undercut by his guy, but the only reason he got late hit on that long gain was because he was hustling his ass off and he's fast as hell to get down there. And it was just, I mean, I'm sure they watch that back in film and they're just like, dude, that's not your fault. Like, that's just, that's just terrible luck. But it goes to the point of the dude has an unbelievably high motor. He loves football. And Jalen Ford even said it earlier this year when, you know, after Anthony Hill had a great game against Alabama, uh, you know, I think he was asked 
he was asked a bunch the next Monday about just what do you see from him? And he was kind of saying the same things that, that we're saying now, where it's like, you know, most guys aren't even starting at this stage in their career, but yeah. he just has so much natural ability that, and I think Jalen Ford even used those words. Like it was just, it's see ball, get ball. And that's okay if that's his role this year. And then maybe you polish him up going into the off season or in spring ball and those kind of things. And then you have two more years to unleash him as, you know, maybe a potential national award winner an all American type guy. He has that level of talent, but what this defense needs right now is for him to just be an, be an absolute game wrecker. And if that means like never putting the dude in coverage and just saying, go get the freaking quarterback or, or if a team wants to run little, you know, read options and those kind of things, just go blow that shit up and make a play. Yeah. Cause when the options, him doing that or sending justice Finkley out there, like, I'm sorry, I'm picking Anthony Hill 10 times out of 10. Finkley made a couple of good plays there. He, he but, was all right. Yeah, but he's a guy that's he's going to play, I don't know what percentage of snaps, but he's going to play a percentage of snaps, whereas Anthony Hill has every down talent. Yeah. And just let him, don't, don't overthink it. Just let him go do his thing. And I think that'll open up some ways where, um, you know, maybe you don't even have to be as creative with different ways you can get pressure by rushing the fewest guys possible. Because, I mean, of course, everyone that knows football, it's how can you get to the quarterback the fastest by rushing the least amount of guys? But, it, you know, sometimes with Kwiatkowski, it's like you just, you'd like to see a couple more adjustments as the game goes on where, hey, if you want to try that early, that's fine. But it was pretty clear by halftime that they were not going to get pressure. Like with just rushing four. Was it really? They really didn't most of the game, and even on that one where Jalen Ford had the fumble that Broughton fell on, it took him. A, it took them a minute to get there. Yeah, like like that wasn't one of those where it was, you know, one you swim move D lineman beats him, and then he's right there, and it's like he blindsides him. Like <laughs> Donovan Smith had time on that one. No, Jalen Ford is. I don't know if he came from just a little bit too far back, but it felt like a delayed blitz. Jalen Ford was late to the line of scrimmage or where the line of scrimmage had moved to on the pass protection and was able to hit home. And it was a nice enough hit that it forced that fumble and kind of took Broughton a second to, uh, to collect the ball too. But ultimately he did. And that was a huge play in that game. That was arguably the defensive play of the game. If not that Michael Taff interception, it's probably that one. Yeah. And they had, they'd talked all week about not just forcing more turnovers, but, specifically forcing more fumbles and in those kind of disruptive plays. And I mean, Hey, they got that one and it happened in a big spot, but with a backup quarterback now, the next few weeks, you're going to look at the defense and say, I mean, it's hard to look at the defense and say like, go score, but (laughs) the next couple of weeks, it'd be a great time for a pick six. It'd be a great time for, you know, a scoop and a David Benda scoop and score off an Anthony Hill strip sack or, Baron Sorrell strip sack or something. And Sorrell's another guy. Like, again, those guys on the edge, like, they need more out of those guys than they've gotten the last two weeks. Yeah, Easterberg is trying his. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tardis, I still feel like he's a year away from 
getting close to his potential. Like he's he's put the right weight on in the upper body. I still think there's a ways to go with the lower body. But he's also a young guy, too, who wasn't necessarily expected to be in this spot right now. But he is because he has outplayed everybody else who is at their current position. But they're asking him to do a lot, too. They're, they're dropping him back in coverage now as well. Like, I don't know if that is deploying your, your best pieces the wisest. And I know you're trying to put more guys back there to uh, to, to close certain windows that uh, that the quarterbacks have been finding open these last couple of games. But... Ethan Burke is your most consistent pass rusher off the edge, not named Anthony Hill. Then if Anthony Hill's not doing that, then it probably needs Ethan needs to be Ethan Burke who is. Mm-hmm. And even he's banged up right now. Then that means you're you may be having to take another defensive lineman off the field. So uh what was the uh you guys were on the field at the end of the game, correct? Yeah. What was the feeling on on the field after the game on the Texas side? It felt, I mean, Honestly, it didn't feel like anything out of the ordinary or um, you could you could feel a little bit of sense of relief. And um, Bob and I were talking about this yesterday. It's interesting just seeing how different coaches kind of wear the the stress and the intensity of the gig. And Sark is one of those guys that wears it all over his face and, you know, all over his, his, his entire his entire being, especially at the end of the game. I mean, he's very his demeanor is very good in game and and all those kind of things, whether it's you know, dealing with the ups and downs or, you know, even his own, his own mistakes. And he, he would admit, like, I'll give, I always give, I've said this a million times. I'll always give Sark credit. Like he says, he says this in front of the team and he does say it in front of the media too. Like after the OU game, he's like, Kirk Bowles asked him about those three plays at the goal line where they got stuffed. And he was like, that sucked. He was, that was bad play calling. Like that was my fault. Um, but I, he was the one I could tell the most sense of relief from because he really does wear it. Like we get the, the eyes of Texas shot at the end. That's just always good. Like end of game B roll and stuff like that. And man, Sark was, <laughs> he looked like, like, I, I don't know what level of intensity to compare it to, but he was wearing on his face, just the relief. Like I'd have to show you the shot, but <laughs> so I think there, there was definitely a sense of that, but I really do think like going back to Malik, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone has like, the utmost confidence that in that particular game had Houston scored a go-ahead touchdown and they needed him to lead a touchdown drive. I'm not saying like every single person on that sideline would have been like, this is going to happen. But I do get a sense that they do truly feel really good about their quarterback room. Like That's good. I, I don't think he would have led them back downfield for, uh, for a victory because you know Dana would have gone for two had they scored a touchdown there. I think Texas would have lost that game. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. It's, fault, it's just the fault of the situation and you know, that that being a lot for a first guy in his first true game action. Well, no, no doubt. I was speaking, I guess, more to uh, like maybe if Taft doesn't make that pick or one of those type of plays where and maybe it's not a game winning drive, but they know that you're going to have to throw it at some point on this yeah. drive. Um, but with the running game, too, with what they did on that on that game winning drive on the Baxter touchdown, I think uh, like it was another instance. And we've seen this multiple times this year where. Alabama is the first one that comes to mind where Texas was able to run the ball when everybody in the stadium on either sideline, everyone watching at home knew they were going to run the ball. So I know to my comments earlier about don't make that the entire game plan. Don't get, don't get too conservative with that going into the game. But in that spot, that decision made sense. And it is a good sign that, you know, Houston knew like, yeah, they're not going to bring this dude in and just let him unleash it. They're going to run the ball because 
like arguably Jonathan Brooks is the best offensive player right now, at least the most, you know, I mean, it's probably Xavier worthy. Um, maybe a close call between those two guys, but just in terms of the amount of touches, like Jonathan Brooks is their most effective player right now on a down in down out basis. No, um, I, understand, I understand the argument for Xavier worthy, but I think you're right about just it. his, just his, his game breaking ability. Um, but yeah, the, the, the backs, the Brooks Baxter duo, man, that's, that's that's going to need to be uh, a major part of this office. I've seen a bunch in the comments, people saying the same thing moving forward. And I saw, I think I saw somebody else earlier talk about how Savion Red, um, maybe you maybe you mix more of that in, or maybe you like do some of that stuff. But well, hear me out, Trey. Maybe you do some of that stuff, but you do it with Malik. You know, stuff that you maybe didn't want to do before to put your backup quarterback in harm's way. And I'd like to see them. You know, and maybe Malik's not good at this. I don't know. But with his size and his seemingly super athletic makeup and build, like I'd like to see them mix in some some quarterback run because <laughs> clearly we know who's behind him. You're not totally screwed if something were to happen to him. Like you don't need to play this super, super conservative. Like you have Arch Manning behind him. And I mean, I don't want to, you don't want to bring up this possibility. Like you have Charles Wright behind him who was a three-star quarterback. Like, I mean, you can say whatever you want about Charles Wright, but like, but it's not, it's not playing a walk-on. Right. You know, like you don't have a walk-on at third-string quarterback still. I would be more inclined to go with QB-designed runs with Arch Manning than I would Malik Murphy. I don't think Mal- Malik yeah. Murphy is very fleet of foot. Okay. Like, less than Quinn. Quinn, ha- Quinn has good straight-line speed, and he's a smart runner too. Well, except when he chooses not to slide. I think Malik, Malik Murphy is more limited than that. So I think you need to, maybe you do find a way to get Savion Red in there a little bit more. Although I also would be concerned about losing that novelty in short yardage situations. Just needs to be a heavier dose of Jonathan Brooks and the offensive line in front of him, understanding what their job is. And that's to be uh, the, the meaner group in the trenches. A couple comments out of John here that I think are worth us discussing. Tristan Nicholson will be joining us here in a few minutes. Honestly, I think Texas will be better without Quinn. Sark keeps getting cute with the plays for Quinn. Bread and butter of this team should be the running game. I understand where you're coming from there, John, but I think Steve Sarkeesian is going to get cute with whoever the quarterback is. I think he's going to try and force the issue with the pass too much, regardless of the quarterback. Maybe you're right. He does it less because he is less inclined to take even small risks with Malik Murphy in there. But that's also just kind of who Sark is, too. We saw when Quinn Ewers was struggling last year. He was still forcing the issue with the pass far too often. And that's with Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson in the backfield. So that just may be who Steve Sarkeesian is as a play caller. John also says, with Murphy, I have the feeling this team is going to look amazing as Brooks and Baxter shine to open up the lanes for X and A.D. Mitchell, too. Well, it's something Go ahead. Something that I wanted to say about about Baxter earlier, I think that was the healthiest that he's looked. Like I hope that you know on that touchdown run specifically, he looked really confident in what he was seeing and his vision on that play, and then he hit the hole and outran outran somebody. Like that was a really good sign for Texas on on that drive was how good he looked and that touchdown. That's going to give him a ton of confidence. You know you who cares who scores that touchdown in that, in that moment of that game, a close game on the road like that. But I think the fact that, and again, maybe it's silly of me even to give Malik any credit for this, but like Malik and CJ Baxter and Brooks, like led that entire drive, 
you know? And I think what that can do for Baxter's confidence now knowing that, hey, you're going to probably get even more carries and your carries are going to be that much more important. It's not just going to be, you know, we have all these other weapons, which they still do, but like, you know, you're, you're spelling, you're spelling Jonathan and you're going to get a couple carries here and there, but they're not going to be like that impactful. I think he's going to get so much more or so many more impactful carries in the game. And now having made a moment like that, scoring a go ahead touchdown that ends up being the game winner will go a huge, huge way in his confidence. And again, biggest thing, he's looked really healthy. He looked really healthy and really confident. And obviously those two things go together, whether you're a freshman or a senior, but the confidence and, and the health, I think were huge, huge things that, that I took away from seeing that definitely at field level too. And he looked fast. And there were times where we talked the last couple of weeks, last couple of games where I didn't think he looked very fast. Hmm. Like I think he looked kind of timid and a little bit hesitant, unsure of his reads and, you know, he, he was banged up twice in the first two games, and I think that lingered a little bit. So uh, hopefully we see, you know, the best version of him and nothing but it moving forward. Yeah, I think this is the healthiest he's been since the first quarter of the very first game, and there was a yeah. palpable difference as a result. All right, it is 2 o'clock, which means it's time to welcome Lifetime Longhorn Tristan Nicholson to the fray live from his home studio in Houston. Is it a home studio that we're uh, broadcasting from today, Tristan? It, it, it is home studio in progress. I'd say we we moved into a new house a couple months ago, and so it's just just now some of the stuff's just not coming out of boxes. Is uh, Tristan is, is the wife letting you call it a man cave once you get everything up? Not not quite. It is it's full office mode, but we share an <laughs> we share a wall with our our newborn. So looking at putting some some soundproofing and or trying to make it as professional as possible, but it is a work in progress. Before we get to the game this weekend, Tristan, how was the weekend? It was good. It was good. We we hung out, had some family come into town, uh, had some help with the kiddos. That was, that was a good time. Always nice when family comes in to help with the kiddos. Hopefully you and the wife yeah. can uh, take a break and go gra- grab dinner or something. Yeah, right. Need to. How uh, Big weekend of sports for you, Trey? Yeah, volleyball, youth volleyball on Saturday, uh, youth soccer after that, on Saturday, we had a uh, uh, neighborhood family get-together, I guess is the easiest way to explain that after that, which is during when the game was on. So I got to pull out the, I have to watch this game for my job card. Right. It's always a fun card to pull out. And then yesterday, the wife, my wife, Justine, uh, she just turned 40 in August. She's playing in a, uh, a women's soccer league, and it was her very first game on Saturday it was also really hot out for uh, late October, mid to late October. And so uh, her, she and her team, they played great. They won the game, but they were all struggling too. And I was, I went to support her, but at halftime, I was like, I don't want to get sunburned here. And it's right. also really hot out. So I'm just going to go into the air conditioning of the car and watch the NFL on my phone, you know, because I got to talk about it for my job. Sure. Trey, you're, you're a, your phone must get a ton of work on these weekends. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's the bane of my wife's existence at times. My kids do when they're not allowed to look over my shoulder, but there are times that that phone has to come out. Like we go out to eat and there's a game going on and it's a pivotal moment in the game. And I could either record it and go back and watch it really late, or I could just watch it right then and there. Like most, uh, most deadbeats do. And so I choose to, <laughs> I choose to watch it in the moment. Fair enough. Yeah. 
So what did you think about the Longhorns' 31-24 victory over Houston? You know, it was it was closer than I would have appreciated, right? I think like everybody, um, looked great in the first quarter. First first 20 minutes of the game looked awesome, right? Um, yeah, I mean, a win's a win, right? I mean, at this point in the season, uh, I think the consensus is you've still got a shot at the playoffs, but you got to win out. And I, 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 before you can say, well, strength of schedule, this team looks good, this team looks good, uh, we need some help, you got to win out. And so uh, when you pick one up that, you know, Houston's showed that they were a decent football team, right? Um, what, I, what I'd say about getting everybody's best game, right, that dude, uh, their quarterback went off. So, so Again. you know, it, it was a good game. Another Another – good game that you wish wasn't a good game but it was a good football game i think texas showed some glaring weaknesses but overall i think they've got better athletes and they're just a better football team so lets you squeak out with one but if you do that every single game you're gonna you're gonna might trip one up tristan your your level of confidence in malik murphy to keep the season on the on the train tracks and keep all those goals that you mentioned the playoff the big 12 championship all those things actually uh in rooted in reality your, your confidence in Malik to do that and potentially Arch if it gets there is is what yeah I hope it doesn't I think the kid Arch probably needs a, a full season of just sitting back and watching the the show go on right um I, I think that's important for a quarterback that I think Texas feels like is a long-term pick for them um not that you would give up on the season, but I think you're you're in really good hands with Malik Murphy. I mean, the dude is a beast physically, and and from what I've seen of him, just briefly, uh, seems like a, a decent football player too. So I, I don't think you need to go to that well quite yet. I mean, the the goal is to get yours back. I think I didn't I haven't seen the latest update, but it's supposed to be a couple weeks. Um, they're just I, saying I they're just saying week to week, basically, right now. Week, week to week. So let's call it week week and a half. So they've got BYU this weekend, and then who they got after that? Kansas State here in Austin. Which Kansas State's not a bad football team, but they're not a great football team either. So I, I think you can get through two games for sure um, on, on with with a backup, and, and I think he'll be a decent backup, right? Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they change the offense, if they change the offense to, to deal with some of his – strengths and or weaknesses with, with what they got going on right now were you proud to see how the offensive line came together at the end of the game on saturday and really forced the issue because while it's easy to say that this texas offensive line should have their way with houston throughout the course of the afternoon unfortunately that wasn't the reality from about halfway through the second quarter all the way until halfway through the fourth quarter but when they absolutely needed to after quinn yours went down they got their shit together yeah, for sure, and, and and that'll do it too. Once your your guy gets knocked around a, a few too many times, you start looking around and saying, "Hey, nobody's going to stop this but us." Let's get into gear. So, yeah, I, I was pretty impressed the way that they came back. Um, unfortunately, you know, their guy got hurt, but he was also I think he was downfield when he got hurt, right? Um, wasn't a, a sack or anything. So, no, but Houston's got some big boys too, right? Uh, maybe not the. SCC Alabama types they've been used to, but I would argue that a lot of this roster on the Texas side, again, I don't know the, the roster in and out. A lot of those guys are from Houston. Um, it's Houston area. Same thing with like Oklahoma, a lot of, a lot of guys from down South. So 
it's not like you're playing scrubs either in terms of pure talent. Uh, and clearly they got a good coach now with them too. So they're not a, a scrub football team by any means. Uh, I think it'll take them a couple of years to, to get right once they get in the Big 12. But you got to look at every win as a, as a blessing, right? You got to move on the next week. Uh, I'm curious about the dynamic of this quarterback situation. When you're in a locker room, obviously it's case by case every year. Like this is a totally unique one where you have Malik, who's super talented, sandwiched in between a Manning on one end and then Quinn Ewers and mm-hmm. as highly touted as he was on mm-hmm. the other end. But, you know, how does that go from not just an O-line standpoint, but the rest of the team and the mm-hmm. dynamic of, I mean, our guys around saying like, hey, we need to do more. We need to do more because that's kind of the reality of it. But how's how's that uh, not only approached, but just kind of the, the chatter and the mindset sure. in the locker room? Well, look, guys, you got to look at it this way. There's no bigger fans of Malik Murphy right now than than his teammates, right? Like, it sucks that Ewers went down. They they probably want – everybody in the locker room thinks that it, they're probably more likely to win football games with him at quarterback. But when a guy goes down through nobody's fault or, you know, through a hit, it's next man up. And, you know, you got to look around the locker room. These guys have seen that dude make more plays than any of us, right? Because you're doing it every day in practice. They've seen him make crazy throws. They've seen him, you know, hit stick somebody and, and, and you know, run 30 yards downfield. So so we're not in that locker room. Uh, I can't exactly say it, but if it were me, I, I'd be excited about, you know, what's this guy going to do? How's he going to show out? Because I'm sure he's got a chip on his shoulder too, right? Because he said he, he's sandwiched in between. He's here and all that. I'm sure he'll use this opportunity to show – uh, the world what he's got. I hope he does. Yeah, regardless of what Malik Murphy is able to accomplish, Tristan, clearly something needs to be fixed in this uh, Texas secondary right now. For a second straight game, they turn into much too large of a sieve for the opposing quarterback, allowing him to uh, to really, in this case, throw all over the place. Against Oklahoma, sure. of course, it was throw and run all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, less of a challenge against BYU this weekend. Keaton Slovis has been very pedestrian for the Cougars this year, but in a couple of weeks, he faced a really good thrower in Will Howard and a really good runner in Avery Johnson. They've uh, figured out a, ro- a quarterback rotation that's working there. What do you see as the uh, the most obvious solution to what ails this Texas secondary right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think anytime you have secondary issues, you look at a couple of things. First of all, like your the individual players, right? Your safeties, your your corners, like are those dudes? And I think if you look at Texas's roster, those, those are guys, right? So I don't think it's a personnel issue. And so I think you got to work your way back down. Like how are your linebackers playing? How's your defensive line playing? Um, I don't necessarily think all of the blame in the world is on the secondary. When I look at half of those throws against against uh, Houston, half the throws their quarterback made, he was on the run. And anytime a really good athlete is on the run, breaking down plays, and you've got eight, nine, ten-second long plays, bad things are bound to happen. You try to limit those, but, like, look at a Patrick Mahomes type, not drawing any comparisons, but same type situation. The the biggest thing I saw when just watching film right before this, just a little bit of touch-up, right, um, defensive line scheme wise is good. I like the stunts they're running. I like the backer packages, blitzes that they're running. They're just like a step too slow is what it seems like to me. And so that gives a good offensive line, which don't joke yourself. Look at uh, uh, Houston's O line. Lots of big boys in that group, right? Not not any uh, uh, <laughs> not any scrubs by their own right. Um, and, and so when you look at, at if your D line's not hitting home. 
were they earlier in the year? And they were against some maybe less experienced quarterbacks that took a half a second, half a beat to throw the ball. Um, so I, I think maybe change up some stuff on, on the defensive line. Let your guys really get after it. If four's not working, bring more. I don't like not bringing more rushers and just having them sit in, in the coverage and hopefully you don't get beat short. But that's just a, a few of the things I saw that I think they can improve on. Yeah, that's it's funny you bring that up about just staying with not really making the adjustment and bringing more guys to try to get more pressure. But um, the lack of pressure that they're getting, Tristan, is it just as is it just as simple as like they played some crappy quarterbacks or just inexperienced backup quarterbacks that aren't that aren't ready yet? Or I mean, what do what, what are you seeing there? And, and why do you think to try to get in PK's mind, like why he's not maybe making that adjustment? Because obviously he's definitely smarter than I am when it comes to that. But that's just like what sure. comes and, and, and smarter than me, too. So I, I don't know exactly what's going on in his mind. Um you know, I, I would say that the Achilles heel or the kryptonite of any good Texas football team, even when I was there, is playing down to to competitors, right? And so when you're at Alabama and you've got the lights on and the whole crowd is booing you or you're in the Cotton Bowl and you got 50-50 and it's awesome atmosphere, you're maybe a half a step faster. You're maybe going, you know, a half a, you know, head nod, trying to throw some juice on the pass rush than, than maybe – you were against Houston at Houston in a game that you thought was going to be over in the first quarter, and it turned out it wasn't. So I, I think Texas has always played down to competition. I think that's just the universal Texas fan experience. Good football teams do that, right? They're, it's not just a Texas problem. Great football teams don't do it. Um, and I, I don't know if Texas has been great, great in a, in a minute, certainly not while I was there, and, and probably have to go back to 2005 to, to nine, right? Um, but you know, they, those teams also went through rough patches and before they got really good with really good players. So, um, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a scheme thing. Sometimes it's a, uh, a motivation mojo thing, but I don't think it's a personnel thing, right? They've got some dudes that, that can really get after it. So they just got to figure out and get that fire in them. You know, for a long time, Tristan, we've heard people say, especially as Texas has uh, struggled, off and on and more on than I guess off over the last 14 years that part of the part of the problem for a Texas program to maintain a level of consistency is that it's not just about football here at UT you live in a great city like Austin the university itself is incredible and there are just a, a ton of opportunities in front of your face that uh, that take away or that take your attention away from the sport of football when you were here, did you find that to be the case at all, or was it a matter of some of those other things that uh, that kept you from from uh, playing up to the competition, or I guess playing down to the competition at times too? Yeah, no, sure. I, I think Austin's a great city, right? Um, best in Texas um, by far. So you know, I, I think to say that there's not distractions or there's not other stuff going on, that you know, absolutely. Now, I wasn't ever one to, to go out every night. Um, I was certainly focused on, you know, the mission at hand. I think uh, the hallmark of a good team is that a lot of guys think that same way. So I, I don't think that's the, the issue in terms of, you know, guys going out or whatever. Again, I don't know the team, but I, I would guess the way they're performing and have performed, you can't really be doing that. Um, but, yeah, I think that there's – at times there's games that are so big with the with the fan base with the city you know 
Notre Dame comes into town, uh, um, USC, Bama coming in town. Uh, those games are so big that it's easy to play really good under the lights, right? You get really used to it. And I think the, the downside of having that is that when you go and play out of Houston and there's probably ballpark 30,000 fans in the stadium, maybe they got more in there at halftime, who knows? But it, it's hard to get yourself hyped up for that, right? It's easy to walk out of the tunnel in the Cotton Bowl and be, you know, ready to run through a wall. Maybe a little bit harder when it's pretty hot down here in Houston. They they claimed, uh, I think, like 42 or 43,000 at the game. Um, was that and, the most all year? Oh, yeah. it was their, And it was one of their only sellouts, like, like in the last, like, I want to say, like, even, like, maybe – five years or something like that. I can't remember what, what sure. the exact stat was on the sellout there, but every single person in that stadium was was shocked when uh, Burt Auburn was running with the football on fourth and six. Hmm. Where where do you stand on that play call? And, and just how much do you think that shifted the momentum? Again, it's like, you know, we always ask you, as somebody that has been on the field in those moments, maybe, yeah. I mean, as a player, are you even going like, like when that's called in, are you there? Like if you're the left, whatever, and on the line in that one, are you like, what the hell are we about to do? Or are you just like at that moment, are you just gung ho? I'm all in on whatever coach wants to do. Yeah, you know, I, I think as a fan looking at it, it, it was a little bit head scratching. I'll get to that. But as a player, no man, you practice these things every week. Like usually one or two reps, but you know, you practice the fake field goal, you practice the tackle pass um, that you're never going to run all season. Uh, and when it happens in game, like unless you're really locked into the situation and the momentum, which is really hard on the field, uh, much easier as a fan, but really hard when you're actually in there. Uh, you're like, no, man, this is great. We practice this. We've never run it. Let's do it. I don't mind the play call. I mean, I don't know if I would have done it, but again, Sark's making a lot more than I am, right? Um, and so I don't mind the play call. Breaking it down, though, it was really poorly executed. Like you got a lead blocker that that goes out to the farthest guy, but then he turns his head back inside. If he'd have really just gone after the farthest guy or, you know, stuck to the man, then they might've had some success. Um, Never a fan of the just straight up throw it to the um, athletically questionable kicker uh, and let it make make a a man miss Tristan. I don't mind like a rollout pass to a tight end that nobody's looking at. I mean, just mix it up. If you're going to go for it, do something uh, uh, a little bit more spicy than what you might have seen out of BYU in in the 80s. You know what I mean? Or even Uh, like on the on the fake punt against OU, you snap it to Jordan Whittington, who's an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. No, I think it was a great play call. Right. I think in terms of. Looking at it from a 10,000 foot view, obviously it didn't work, but you've got the momentum in, in, in the game, in, in the Houston game. You've got the momentum going in. I think they were up 14 nothing at that point, 21 nothing. Uh, they were up 14. It was 21-7. Okay. So you're, you're going down to score. You know that they can make it 14-7. And so what do you do to just really, you know, step on their throats? I, I don't mind the play call because if you get it and then you go down and score and then it's either a – you know, 21 or 17 point game. And then it really feels like you're Houston. You're like, man, we should <laughs> knew we couldn't hang with these guys. But when you do something like that, uh, it starts to give people hope on the other side. Maybe you just don't give them the opportunity at all. Who knows? Um, if Quinn yours ends up missing because Sark says week to week, but Sark isn't always forthright with player injuries. And I don't fault him for that, by the way, you're trying not to give your opponent any sort of competitive edge. Sure. 
But AC joint injuries typically knock guys out for anywhere from two to four weeks. So let's say Quinn Ewers misses the next three weeks. How, if at all, does this adjust your expectations of what this football team can and should accomplish in 2023? Yeah, I think if you look at the remaining schedule, they've got one really tough football game. Um, I think they've got Kansas State at home. Kansas State's had a disappointing year after the way they started. Uh, I, I think they'll be looking to come in and repeat from a few years ago and, and say, hey, we're, we're not just some Big 12 left out, right? TCU seems to be completely headed in the wrong direction. Um, same thing kind of with Iowa State and, and Texas Tech, although you get to play Iowa State in Des Moines, uh, and it's not warm in November. If you guys have ever been to Iowa, uh, that's yep. one of the worst football experiences of my life is playing there on Halloween night. Tristan, we were we were there in Des Moines for the NCAA basketball tournament yeah. in, what, mid-March? Yeah. And it was brutal. It was like 23 degrees in the wind. I'm sure it was the same on Halloween night, the wind chill. Yeah. It, it was worse because it wasn't all that cold, but Texas it was, right? I think it was like 50 degrees, which, you know, anybody from north of Austin is going to be like, that's not cold. But <laughs> when you're used to Austin, it is. And, and so they were coming out with like their sleeves off and everything. We're standing there in the sideline, hand warmers. It was a terrible football game. <laughs> But, but no, I, I, trade back to, to your question, I think you've got like one, maybe two tough games left. And if the goal is college football playoffs, right, and you feel like you can go to the Big 12, and then if you win that game, then you've got a shot. Um, at this point, I wouldn't worry about blowing anybody out. I would be worried about getting to that Big 12 championship. And then whoever it is, hopefully it's an undefeated Oklahoma that you can then go and play a really big game and, and maybe – put some points on and really, really show out um, because nobody's going to care if you beat Iowa State by 30. Um, nobody's going to care if you beat TCU by 100. Um, they're, they're just going to be, are you one loss? Did you beat the one team you beat? Okay, we'll give you a chance. So I, I think I like their odds of doing that specifically. If they end up dropping one of these games that they maybe shouldn't, whether it's because of quarterback play or, or anything else, then – yeah, that's tough. You go to a, a really cool bowl game and you kind of get ready for for next year, which which sucks as a as a fan. But uh, from a player point of view, I mean, the season's not over, right? You're going to make the most out of everything you can, whether that's you know playing a cool bowl game. Like I think maybe it's lost on some of these kids now because a lot of these students are again making a lot more money than I am by doing the same thing. I, I missed out. Um, you know, a lot of them probably got their their own ways of going about to exotic locale. But when you get to go out and, and do a bowl game with your buddies and maybe it's somewhere cool, like that's not nothing. Um, I think it's lost now when you get the, the college football playoff or nothing. And fans don't really see that side of it, that really it's like this cool Christmas vacation you get to go on with all your best friends. And then you get to play a fun football game and you get a bunch of swag. So from a team perspective, season's not over. Like they're still trying to make it to the the playoffs, and and if not, then then we'll see. Tristan, were you starting that Halloween night game in Ames? <laughs> Don't look up the film. Um, yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I, I was. I was starting that night. Is, is, um, there, is there ever a point when the when the conditions feel that cold where you do start to get used to it, though? 
Yeah, certainly there is. The issue with that game, Trey, was if I recall, we made it past the 50-yard line one time. Um, and so... Was that Tyrone Swoops at quarterback? Tyrone Swoops at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe Gerard Hurt, but I'd, I'd have to go back and look. It's hard to remember. Oh, no, you know, it was uh, Shane Bouchelle was the quarterback for that team. Okay. Um, I think Tyrone came in a couple of times because we had that 18-wheeler package, um, mm-hmm. which was a, I was a huge fan of that. I had fun with that. Uh, Tyrone's a big dude. Good um, name, too. Yeah, yeah. 18 um, But, yeah, no, it was just not were a, you, were you Were you on the field whenever Swoop scored the game-winning touchdown against Notre Dame? So I was on the field, but I had blown out my knee in the first quarter. Um, so I got it. And it wasn't, ultimately wasn't that bad. I didn't need surgery or anything, but it was a grade two MCL sprain, something like that. Uh, ended up coming back against Oklahoma, actually. Um, but I was on the field, but I was in crutches. So I, I it was great because when I went back, I, they took me back to the locker room, tried to go through some steps, realized it wasn't happening. My ankle was messed up too. And so I would go back to the locker room. You get undressed as a player. And at the time, they didn't have a lot of TVs everywhere. I'm sure they've got TVs everywhere now. Um, I hope they do with all the money they spent. Um, but, you know, you, you're hoping to catch the game real time. But then you're watching commercials, too, and you're like, God dang it. And so I got undressed, showered. They taped me up, put me in a boot. And I got on and on the field, like, with the third overtime had just started. And so I think we stopped him, and then Tyrone went and scored. But, but yeah, I, I was on the field. That was a fun, fun moment. Mm. How, how helpless is that? <laughs> it's kind of a weird question, but, like, how helpless is that feeling in that process when you, when you kind of know that I'm not coming back into this game? It, it really does suck because on, on a personal level, you want to feel like you're, you know, you've trained at that time. I've trained my whole life for that game, right? Like, not even just that offseason or in the games leading up to it, but, like, me as a player, I knew that this was potentially one of the biggest games I could ever play in, which is awesome. You know, 10 out of 10 top moment for me. Um, When you go down, you're like, man, that really sucks. My opportunity to do that is over. But then you're wondering, like, okay, next man up, who is it? I think think Denzel Okafor was my backup at the time, and I think he went in there. Did a phenomenal job, dude. Killed it. Um, him and I battled that entire season because I was in and off of injury. So him and I started back back and forth pretty much every game that season. Um, and, and he's a real good dude, and he did really well. So, like, you're fired up for your teammate. Uh, and then when something like that happens where it's a, a awesome play, everybody's cheering three overtimes, like, I mean, I probably don't remember much of that night just from the pure adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh man! Uh, so uh, what what's next for this Texas football team, Tristan? As uh, we wind down uh, today's conversation. Yeah, well, I'm glad you you asked that and not about toast because I watched a little bit earlier and heard you guys go into depth. Well, hold about on, it. so hold on a second. What kind of what kind of how do you butter your toast? So I, I had toast for lunch after I heard that segment because I was like, you know what? No one who thinks about that who how you butter your toast. So I knew you're going to ask me about that. And so I went ahead and had some toast for lunch, and I did it. I, I'm a full coverage guy, but only I only re- I rarely eat toast with not uh, like a jam or peanut butter or like Nutella on it. I'm not just like a piece of toast dry with butter on it kind of guy. So I, I like a, a thin layer of butter and then whatever you're putting on top. 
Oh, thin layer of butter before the jam or the peanut butter. Room temperature, right? You got to let it melt because what I find is it makes the makes the toast nice and moist. I know a lot of people have an issue with that word, but uh, but no, I I find it just makes for a better eating experience if it just has a little bit of butter on there. Doesn't have to be salted butter. I'm not, you know. I might be doing this all wrong. I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah. I think so I just went over the, the, are you going over the edges of the crust then if you're going full coverage? I mean, I'm not trying to, but if it happens, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> full coverage. I don't know what full yeah, coverage. Maybe no, just because it's something that we say in news. It's just cracking me up to hear it yeah, now. Right. Full coverage. Talked about with toast. <laughs> uh, but Trey, no, to answer your question, win, man. Go go and beat a team that's not as good as you um, like you should have this week. Uh, they play at BYU? No, BYU's here, and okay. then they host Kansas State the week after that. Okay. So, yeah. You, you should, you get to, yeah, no. I mean, if you, I've heard stories, but I'm <laughs> glad it's at home. But, yeah, that's what's next. Just go win the game. So, we're talking about how great Malik Murphy is, and that offensive uh, scheming is fantastic next week. Okay. that that's That's one thing I want to ask you, too, before you go, Tristan, is like, I'm, I don't want to say like I'm rooting for anything, but man, I would love to see some chaos. Like, mm-hmm. like I would love to see Malik Murphy really press the plan because mm-hmm. it feels like, it feels like the plan is to hand. I mean, I don't think anybody would really disagree. It feels like the plan is probably to hand it to Arch next year. So like, what is it like if, what's the dynamic become now for the coaches and the entire team? If like Malik comes in and he's just undoubtedly awesome like you're just so good sure i mean i think it's the best thing for the team right when when one player goes down you want that person to come back and and hop back up but if an unknown entity comes into unsuspecting you know byu football team and he lights it up like that's good that that helps you win football games so um it's it's a next man up type of game even at a place like texas where we know all the stuff behind the scenes that goes into it like, is it really good for, you know, I mean, sometimes do coaches just want like an easy decision? Sometimes it feels like they just want it to be like, oh, well, like maybe, and not saying Sark wants him to play well, right. obviously, but. I mean, like, you got to gotta realize, Jeff, there, there's never an easy decision when it comes to, to stuff like this. I mean, maybe when your right tackle gives up uh, a couple sacks against Iowa State, not saying who who did that, but it's easier the next uh, week to, to figure out who to put in. But like, you know, imagine Malik outplayed either of these guys in camp, right? From a pure media perspective, he'd get crucified if he let him start over your viewers because he's, you know, the, you know, it's second year. So I, I think that there's sure. a lot to, to, to sift through when it comes to that. And I think Texas fans and Texas fan base is, is one of the worst when it comes to that kind of talk and, and that kind of pressure. But no, I, I think if Malik comes in and shows what he's got, I don't think anybody will be uh, upset about it. I'm just stirring the pot a little bit. No, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about, Jeff. You're positive. <laughs> Damn media. Last question now, Tristan. It's a toast-related question. Shoot. Where do you fall on avocado toast? I'm a fan. I'll make my own because it's pretty easy to make. I don't know if I'll Ooh. go and spend $8, you know, what's whatever the meme is. Uh, inflation, but like it's just avocado on on toast that you can make up how any way you like. I'm a fan. You go coarse salt on the top of the avocado. 
sometimes you know i'll do like a mash sometimes and you can mix it in there i feel like that gets a better coverage of the spices but yeah you can sprinkle it on top if you want maybe microblade uh rind of a citrus on top of that too <laughs> starting to get over my pig right man <laughs> yeah, that's, that's getting pretty fancy yeah that's fancy all right well that's where that's where you know the the little shavings of citrus turn it into a ten dollar breakfast item even though it's probably 50 cents of course well, uh, Tristan, always a pleasure, man. We look forward to talking to you next Monday. Hopefully after the Longhorns have taken care of business over BYU here in Austin. Let's get it done. Appreciate you. See you, Tristan. There he is. Tristan Nicholson joins Jeff and me every Monday at 2 o'clock. That was good stuff, Trey. Yeah, he, he provides a great insight on things. I love to hear what he said about the fake field goal call, too, by the way. Yeah. That, uh, one guy does his job there or does his job a little bit better then perhaps that is a successful play. Uh, but he also did say that uh, asking Bert Auburn to uh, to pick up that much in the way of yardage was uh, was also not totally foolproof, too. Well, that's why I always love getting the player perspective just on, you know, in a, in a longer form type conversation like this. Of, and also a guy that's removed now from it a couple of years. So he's he's still close enough to where he remembers playing and and it feels like it was semi-recent. Um and knows the game, kind of the modern game, but then also far enough away to now, like he used the 10,000 feet, you know, perspective of it too, and looking at it through that lens. So I always think he provides good perspective on that stuff where maybe I'm just looking at it more from a media standpoint and a fan standpoint. But yeah, I'm always curious. Like, that's why I want to ask him about the fake field goal. Like, do you ever sit there in a game as a player and just go, what the hell? Like, yeah. we're doing what? But that's a great point that he makes is these are things that, you know, you work on in practice and you buy into and you practice them over heck. And like we talked about Sark said, you know, they hadn't practiced or they hadn't run a fake field goal in three years. Like maybe something they've been practicing for two years. So you probably get excited when that call comes in. You're not thinking, you're not thinking it's not going to work. That's the other thing too. And Tristan did just text me two yards, maybe for uh, Bert Auburn, six yards is a stretch. That, that's, that's also <laughs> part of it too. It's situational. It's like yeah. that, that call might work in a given situation, but considering how many yards you had to pick up there, just keep the offense out there. Show confidence in a group that had given you uh, a bunch of reasons to to have that confidence that they could pick up six more yards. Six yards for Burt Auburn. Like that's – when you say it out loud, it almost sounds even more ridiculous. Yeah, I mean – But maybe he was thinking like he would have gotten even more criticism – if it was fourth and two, because I see what Tristan's saying, let him get two. But then would you get the criticism of like, just let Savion Red run it or just run a regular play or just hand it to Brooks? <laughs> I think if Bert Auburn had gotten a haircut right before the game, I might be more inclined Ooh. to trust him getting six yards. But, uh, you know, that 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 much curly hair sticking out the back there, the uh, sideshow Bert fro, like, uh, I don't know. I think that uh, I think that diminishes things by three or four yards. So you're you're just saying poor aerodynamics then. I'm a Harrist is what yeah. I'm uh, what I'm telling you, Jeff, that I'm a, I'm a Harris when it comes to Burt Auburn's hair and his ability to catch a I guess technically Sanborn got uh, got credited with a pass there that looked like a lateral, though. But he gets credit, yeah. credited with catching a pass and gaining a yard or two yards on that play. Yeah, that was a uh, that was funny when I noticed that too. I went in back into the box score and looked, and I'm like, because I wanted to see. I'm like, oh, did Malik really only throw two passes? Um, then I'm like, oh, that's only one more than Ryan Sanborn threw, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we had someone before we brought Tristan on that was 
um, you know, rightfully, rightfully getting on me for uh, basically claiming that Malik did anything to lead that drive. He didn't. Oh, he didn't. Screw we talking about Canyon Mansky here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's a fair point. It's a fair point. He didn't screw it up though. Um. Yeah. No. He 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 took snaps and handed the ball off, and that's all you wanted him to do right there. You didn't did not want him to have to make a difficult throw in that situation. <laughs> yeah. Probably a probably a bit of a reach for me uh, patting him on the back for catching a snap eight times. Well, you know, you are a TV guy, Jeff, and you can't yeah. to, to just pump everybody up, right? Yeah, positive Paul over here, apparently. You know. <laughs> <It's positive. laughs> even, though, even though I'm over here, you know, being critical and all that, it's just like, I guess maybe that needs to be my new my new thing, Trey, is like they could they could win like, like I've just, that's got to be my shtick, I guess. It's like they, they win 56 nothing on Saturday and Malik has seven touchdowns and I can't, I can't say anything good. You no, you better be super critical. You better make me sound like the optimist on next Monday's show, Jeff. <laughs> it went it is, nothing. I could tell uh, Tristan was going back to his days of his UT days because I'm sure he he spoke to the media a bit when I was going on my uh, chaos rant about if Malik plays well, and he was he was probably like, "This guy, come on!" Like, and I'm not trying to act like it's a it would be like a bad thing for the program if he played well. It complicates some things. It makes it, it it muddies the water a little bit. Or you just oh, think it's a you just think it's a good problem. I think it's a good problem to have. Quinn Ewers comes back healthy. He's your starting quarterback. This is well established at this point. But to have faith in your backup that he can come in and get the job done, and maybe it just puts that much more oomph in him feeling good about winning the job this offseason if Quinn decides to go pro because he is projected as a first or first or second round or uh, day one or day two draft pick then you feel better about the position because you actually have a guy who's a little bit more battle-tested versus Malik Murphy and Arch Manning both waiting in the wings and getting into a QB battle that starts in the spring, but you damn well know because Steve Sarkeesian doesn't want to give an upper hand to one guy or the other too soon, says both guys played well. It's going to remain a battle into fall practice. Well, and, and this is, you know, this is the tough part about not being able to see practice, you know, and we have, uh, Trey, we both have friends at the uh, insider outlets and sources and, you know, they get reports here and there and there's there's things that are released to them that they're able to share and that kind of stuff. But still, when when we're not able to sit there and, and look at it, you know, it's and see it for ourselves, it's it's just hard. So, um, I mean, obviously, I absolutely hate the way the circumstances that have led to this coming about. But at least if nothing else, it, it does. I mean, you'll you'll get some semblance of an idea of what you have in, in Malik Murphy. And, and again, you know, Tristan made a good point too, of, I love the way he put it too, of um, Arch just needs a full season to sit there and just watch the show or see the show. I can't remember exactly what his phrasing was, but I thought that was a great, a great way of putting it of just even just seeing the little nuances and the things that come up during a season like this and how to handle it and how the coaches act and how a guy like Malik, who's only a year, probably a year or two older, but he's been in the program a year. Like, how does he handle it? You know, I think it's there. There's a lot that maybe we don't necessarily talk about because it's hard to put something tangible behind it of like what role that plays. But it's huge. You know, like 99 percent of guys need a year to even if it's just sitting to see how how it all goes down. Pat Mahomes didn't play much as a rookie for the Kansas City Chiefs. He I think he plays week action too soon with Texas Tech, as a matter of fact. He started week 17, right? I think that was like the one game his rookie year, and I don't know if it was 
it was either an injury or maybe they were already in the playoffs. They could, couldn't just already, their playoff seating. Yeah, so they were giving him that very first start of his career. But people also need to think back to Arch Manning's recruitment and remember that it was reported that the Mannings chose Texas in part because they felt like he would have time to grow into the position and that he wouldn't be forced into action too soon. And well, look, he's been in this program now for nearly a year because he was an early enrollee. But my guess is that they don't want his first game action to be as a result of him having to start because the starter is out with an AC joint injury. And, you know, I guess if you outperform the incumbent backup, then that's a decent thing. But he literally hasn't he's even seen garbage time at this point, has he? No, no, he, he's, he has not played a snap. Right. Outside of the spring game. He's not played a real snap in a real college football game. That is a lot of at that, at that point, like maybe you give a little bit more faith in Malik Murphy executing a game plan that has him passing more. At that point, I am insisting that they go above and beyond with running the football and try and bring him along as slowly as possible within the course of a game. No, I, I, I know. I just, like I said earlier, I just worry about deviating too much and getting too conservative. And then, and then almost ruining Malik by only the only times he passes are obvious passing situations. Like I feel like there's Sark's got to find the good a good balance between leaning heavily on the running game, but then also getting Malik kind of easy, uh, you know, free completions, if you will. I think you're running it enough early that when you do start throwing uh, throwing it more on early downs, first and second down. You're doing it off of play action to where it does give the quarterback a little bit more breathing room. Well, and you, I, I am insisting, like, you don't completely clam up, but I want to see him run the football a little bit more. Like, we had a criticism, um, which I don't know if this was, yeah. So Sark gets too cute with Quinn against Houston. Why are we throwing it 17 times in the first half? I wish he would run the ball more. Look, balance is all relative, and there was no issue with Quinn throwing the ball 17 times in the first half. He was 16 of 17. Yeah. You were really good throwing the ball in the first half. Well, and it was a lot of really short passes, too. A lot of short passes, and you're going to see a lot of short passes for either quarterback, I'm guessing, early on, depending on who's starting. But you also shouldn't be throwing it 17 times in the first half on Saturday, whether it's Malik Murphy or Arch Manning. No. You maybe cut that number in half and hope that at most your quarterback is having to throw 15 to 20 times in the game because you've done such a good job running the ball. The defense has gotten it together. And is no longer giving up huge plays in uh, with BYU's passing attack, and the game is well in hand. But then again, we thought the game was well in hand after Texas scored their third touchdown early in the second quarter, and sadly, that turned out not to be the case for a variety of reasons. No, for sure. And I, I think with just one more thing on Malik, I think you 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 just saw what happened when his first pass in that moment of the game was a big third down throw, and you know. It's that's a tough first throw. Like, I don't know exactly what the play call was and all that, but, you know, he missed Mitchell there, whether it was a bad throw, miscommunication. Um, I mean, probably more more likely one of those two things than it was a bad route from Mitchell, who's a super experienced, talented player, you know. So, yeah, well, I'm, I'm super curious to see what the first like the first three drives or really the first two drives before you have to start making like true, true adjustments to whatever your your approach might be. I'm, I'm curious to see what those first two drives look like. So we've gone an hour and 40, and I haven't asked you about either of your uh, other two football teams just yet, Jeff. 
Um, uh, where would you like to start? Sorry. Losing to the Bears or whatever the hell is happening with USC right now. Are you, are you having a hard time? Am I cutting out? Uh, sorry, I accidentally unmuted myself, not you. Sorry, Trey. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I can't. Well, you, you know, at least you don't have to uh, sweat the USC season out anymore because a combination of Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley has no idea how to beat Utah. Uh, so I got to say the uh, the real this is this is deep in the weeds here. The, the real silver lining for me from that USC game again here. here look how positive I am. Look how positive I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the real silver lining was we were leaving Houston because uh, we ended up leaving kind of late because we just had to, we had to send back our entire segment and it just you know it takes a long time to finish all that stuff up post game. I was going to ask that. you when did you actually get out of there like eight or nine? So no, we left around yeah probably around nine fifteen or so, and then it's you know you got to walk all the gear back to the car and all that. And we wanted to get food before, so we're going to stop at Whataburger. So we're going through the Whataburger drive through, and I've got the game on my phone. Well. We pull up back into a parking spot after and watch the rest of the game go by. And, like, you know, Bob wasn't rubbing it in or anything like that. But um, he was just kind of being quiet and letting me, uh, you know, let me just be in my feelings for a minute. I'll say, and he said the same thing. It's the best Whataburger we've ever had. Just un- unbelievable. I-, I got a patty melt. It was bread perfectly toasted. Uh, I got onion rings, side of ranch. Like, it was just... You know, a couple leftover fries in the bag. Uh, it's just <sighs> wait. Did you did what? you go onion rings with ranch? I did, and and some ketchup. Alter, I alternated bites. Okay, so you don't do ranch and ketchup at the same time. Oh no, like I don't like mix them in the same like bite. Like I just like both of them. So I'll I'll do like an onion ring with ketchup, onion ring with ranch. You know, is that weird? No, not at all. I, I have an unhealthy hatred for ketchup. Unfortunately, uh, my kids aren't on the receiving end of that necessarily, but I feel like my kids love ketchup in part because they know how much it bothers me. But I like ranch and I like a good onion ring and that combination sounds intriguing. Yeah, it was it was really good. And the, the onion rings were just perfectly, perfectly made too. So and that was... Point, at this point with USC, not to uh, allow you to continue the Whataburger conversation. <laughs> I was trying to I was, I was trying to filibuster there. <laughs> I appreciate that, Mr. Smith. Uh, <laughs> so as far as USC concerned, I mean, Alex Grinch is as good as gone. So th- at the very least, that is happening. But where is that fan base with Lincoln Riley right now? V- very, very frustrated, I think, with the way that they're losing games. Because... You know, it was it was one thing to keep him around to keep to keep Grinch around uh, Lincoln's decision last year and, and to stick with him, but at the same time, like, you know, there was enough last year and it was it was bad enough where you know you just go like you can't lose games like that to Tulane and you can't lose that game with a month to prepare a month after you lost the Utah game in the Pac-12 championship the way that you lost that game when you also lost to Utah earlier. It's kind of just the doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. It's, you know, the the classic cliche of what's the definition of, of, of insanity. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't know, like it's one of those where you feel like with Caleb Williams, like maybe it was just 
like maybe it's just bad timing. Like maybe next year the roster will be in a better place. And if he were, you know, one year older or whatever it may be, then it would have timed out perfectly because I think, you know, whatever program it is, Texas fans could say the same thing about some of the things that happened in, you know, the years that they didn't win the national championship or a lot of the what ifs, or what if this guy was a year further along than he was, or didn't get hurt. You know, there's just, there's always going to be those, but I think there's always going to be a little bit of that with SC fans with Caleb of like, did, did we, did we get him like too soon? Like, like maybe next year, like I said, the roster will be in a better spot and we needed the veteran quarterback to complement the roster then where now like, man, he like, he didn't even play his best game again, but he played well enough and he ended up giving them, you know, the, the defense um, like made some plays here and there, but it's just, there's no, with the way the defense plays when it's like that, there's just zero margin for error. And I think Lincoln Riley in a way, um, you know, a bit of a victim of his own success early on last year. I mean, taking a four win team to 11 wins, but still the bar changes immediately when you're at a program like USC, Texas, Alabama, Ohio state, whatever, Michigan, whatever, blue blood, any blue blood, you name it. Like the bar is going to change when you have that success. That's just the way it is. And it's, it's basically just the way, you know, to, to just to circle back to that, like, it's the way they're losing these games. Just so physically dominated by some of these teams. You know, Notre Dame, I guess you're kind of like, oh, that's one thing. Uh, but then, like, to just always be physically dominated by Utah. It's, it's just, it gets old. It gets freaking old, man. Yeah, and Utah's not a great team offensively this year. I know that uh, people want to say that putting Bryson Barnes back into the game at starting quarterback, he was the starter for the first game of the year for them, is making a big difference. Like, the previous week's opponent was Cal. Give me a break. Like, this is the result of USC's defense, while they're making more plays at times, still not being very good. But I still have a hard time believing that over the last two weeks, Caleb Williams has played his way out of the being the number one overall pick in next April's NFL draft. I think this this last comment, Trey. I, th- I think this might be a, I think this might be a joke, but I was uh, <laughs> I was def- I was definitely not pulling the 2018 Georgia at the at, at the Sugar Bowl that they didn't that they didn't want to be there. Um, I was more just using Tulane to emphasize like you, you can't you can't lose to them that way. Like that's it's just bad. Like, that that can't happen. You know, you can't lose in that way where you just can't get a stop. Yeah, that's true. No, I, hey, USC is USC's Pedro Martinez and Utah's the Yankees. No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can we can we just talk about that, please? <laughs> <laughs> hey, but the bonus fries are always the best. Yeah, it's incredible. It's because you think you're done. And you look in the bag just in case, just in case there's that extra onion yeah. ring or fry or waffle fry, wherever it is that you're and at. It was the uh, it was the classic Bob driving. I hand him his fries so he can eat before we get back on the road, while I sulk and watch SC crap themselves. And you know, onion rings, fries in the same bag. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I stole those. I didn't throw those back in his uh, in his fry fry basket. So. <laughs> Hey, that's the byproduct of you being in shotgun. Yep, I fries. And guess what? I needed I needed every every uh, ounce of potato in those freaking fries. So oh yeah, nothing helps drown sorrows like fried and salted potatoes. And tortilla, chi- tortilla chips do a pretty good job too. I don't know if you have like a like a go to meal after like going to a game tray, just like 
uh, and maybe, or remember, maybe people eat at the game, but like when you're covering the game for work and it was as hot as it was on the sideline there, there's nothing like, it's almost like takes me back to when I played in high school and you would get like, we would, we would get in and out back then. That was like the, everyone meets at the in and out, like here, everybody meets at the Whataburger, the local burger joint. But uh, do you have like a go-to meal of like maybe after the OU game or something like that, you're like, well, that's different because it's state fair, but just like, I, I, I got to get this after after a long ass day or long ass game. Hmm. See, the problem is I'm not a big fast food guy. So okay. my meals are probably going to be like going to via three, one, three or Bufalina or something. Dude, the, uh, the, the via, uh, what pizza? I can't remember what pizza I got there. I've got I've the via, the Hawaiian and the, uh, the, the like Detroiter, like with the layers of pepperoni. See, the key for me with Via, because they're known for that thicker crust and they put the sauce over the top, I actually like their bar-style pies a little bit better. The thicker pizza just has too much dough. And so it's one of those things where you you really enjoy a piece or two, but then it just completely incapacitates you the rest of the day. Their bar-style pie is still the same dough, so you get that taste, but they're more moderate with the toppings. Okay. And uh, you don't get the tomato sauce on top, which get ready at some point, you'll start dealing with indigestion. And pretty much everybody who has indigestion gets triggered by cooked tomatoes. Uh, so I, I avoid that and I avoid the heartburn as I'm trying to sleep at night while also getting the deliciousness of Via. Well, this, uh, this, this order from our guy, Steve, Steve's given us his long day, long game order. That's, that's an order. That's an order right there. Dairy Queen is... Dude? You're ordering a dude as part of your food order? <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, dude, onion rings, and a Dr. Pepper. Love being in DQ country. What is a dude, Stephen? Apparently the reason why Five Guys dumps more fries in your bag is to give you the illusion that you're getting more than you paid for, even though Five Guys is pretty pricey. Is that true? Hey, as, as somebody that's, in, that's a cheap-ass MF... And always thinking about value, then I, uh, I, I, I definitely appreciate that decision if that's why they do that. A dude is a chicken fried steak sandwich. Okay, I've never had that. You know, I, I just get like a million chicken strips when we do DQ, and then obviously you got to go some just just bury your stomach with some sort of blizzard after it too. Oh, yeah, I look if you're already going there, you may as well. It's yeah. like anytime I go to Hat Creek. Because oh. love going to Hat Creek. We go to Hat Creek. It's like, all right, I know what exactly. Yeah, there you go. I know exactly what I'm doing here. I'm doing a burger. I'm doing fries. And I'm finishing it off with that birthday cake shake. That GD thing is so good. I've, I've never I've never had that one. But they're, um, God, Hat Creek, they're, they're fry. Uh, is it the fry sauce? There's like, they have two sauces that are like kind of unique and they're super good. I don't know. I'm a yellow mustard with my fries guy. Wow. That, oh, I forgot. You said you, you you hate ketchup, and then the kids eat ketchup just to spite you. They rub it in. Yeah, but I, I'm always, even as a fat kid, I was always a, a yellow mustard with the fries. Okay. Dipper. Are, are you like a, uh, like, you care what people put on their hot dog kind of person? Like, I get killed for putting ketchup on my hot dog. Like, apparently that's like a weird thing unpopular opinion, but I feel like if you're eating a hot dog, you're already losing that debate. 
<laughs> if you're if you're eating a hot dog, it just doesn't matter what the hell you're putting on it. No, I'll, I'll occasionally do it like a brat or something between a yeah. bun. But God, this well, is a big thing in Chicago when I lived there. The Chicago style dog, man, Chicagoans and certain food items that they embrace. I'm just like, I don't know why this is the hill that y'all are choosing to die on. Like Chicago style pizza is complete garbage in my opinion. I know Detroit. It's like, the, it's like is that the ultra deep dish? Basically, is like what they the ultra deep dish that is completely covered with the tomato sauce. See, that's why I like Detroit pizza. I, Detroit pizza is my favorite because it's in between. You get you get a little bit of that that dish, but it's like a it's like a half deep dish kind of. Completely agreed, and that's why Detroit is better than Chicago style. Chicago style is not even pizza. You have to eat it with a freaking fork and knife. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it lasagna or pizzagna if you really want to tie it back into pizza and be done with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, stop saying that it's better than New York-style pizza. New York-style pizza is like true pizza. You fold it up, get that piece of cheese or pepperoni pizza, and God, it's delicious. Such a good yeah, booze mop late night. Right, the like uh, cheese is like stringing apart like that, and oh, God, I need to go eat yeah. I know I'm starting to get hungry too. <laughs> My wife and I go for guilty pleasure JITB tacos after the Strohs games. I don't know what that. I don't know what that is. JITB well, tacos are. I mean, what, whatever it is, like Back in the box. Wow, oh, that is. Oh. Disgust- I have more respect for your <laughs> than that, please. Yeah, I'm not a. I'm. I'm not really a fast food snob, but I. Uh, not a big Jack in the Box taco guy, and those are huge. Those are huge in LA. They used to hand those out at the Laker games. This was before teams were were scoring like 210 points a game, but it would be like if the Lakers score more than 100 and win the game, then they would pass out like the Jack in the Box version of like the Pluckers five wings that you get at UT events, sporting events. Yeah. I, Which again, I, in, in, in high school and stuff, that was, that was good. Yeah. I had a friend's, you're talking about the Jack in the Box tacos, correct? Yeah, yeah. So Jack in the Box had a 99 cent menu. I've never, again, even as a fat kid, I've never been a Jack in the Box guy. I used to do the sourdough burger from time to time. That was Pretty okay. Like, like a poor man's patty melt almost? Yeah, exactly. But I had a friend who used to love, he would go there and get like three orders each of the tacos, which were 99 cents, and then the egg rolls too. And I've had those a few times. Jack in the Box is like, we're Jack in the Box, whatever the fuck. Like, you, you may think of this as a burger place, but we will serve whatever the fuck. Oh, I, I love when places have, uh, like, even whole regions will have something, like, random like that that doesn't really, that you wouldn't think. Like, I want to say it doesn't make sense, but you just wouldn't think it. Like, when I was in Mississippi, everyone, I lived there for two and a half years, and everyone was like, gotta get tamales. I was like, what? And then and then I went and had it, I'm like, Tamales is not like growing up in Southern California in LA County. I'm like, I would not be like, oh, I got to go get tamales in Mississippi. They were good. They were good. I mean, honestly, any food is awesome in Mississippi because it's just fried catfish, fried this, fried that, you know, giant chicken tender basket, fried chicken at the gas station. What? Oh, yeah. Gas station fried chicken is huge in Mississippi. Gas station fried chicken. Okay. Yeah. I was on my way to an Ole Miss game one time and I got in line like probably half an hour, 45 minutes outside of Oxford. There was a huge line in this place and I just wanted like a couple drumsticks just to like get me through. 
<laughs> and the whole crowd saw my like uh it's one of those where like you stop at like a Bucky's, you know, and OU week or whatever. Everyone's driving up for the game and they saw my like station call letters or whatever. They like put two and two together that I was like from California and they made me try like the most like like chicken gizzard, like just all kinds of like the the craziest shit on the menu. And they were just like eating it up, pun intended, of of watching me like just devour like the most disgusting chicken gizzard. So. Thank goodness. Anyway, we've completely just gone off the rails. That meal, my goodness. That I mean, that's one of those things that you need to be laid out on a couch for the next four hours after that. For for what? For what? Everything that you ate. Oh Maybe yeah. Forced you to eat. Yeah, it was a good thing. I was like twenty three years old. So. Yeah, that that does help. That definitely does help. You know, speaking of tamales, people might be surprised about this, like they are good tamales in Mississippi, great tamales in Chicago, from one specific guy. Oh. He was known as the tamale guy, and somehow he, this guy was, it's like he had magic or something, or the power of teleportation. He could somehow make it to every bar in Chicago before the end of a night. And he did it pretty much every night, too. Certainly the popular drinking nights, you know, Tuesdays through Saturdays. But I'm pretty sure every night of the week he was out there selling tamales that his wife was making, and those tamales were fucking incredible, dude. You know what uh, the L.A. version of that is where they come by at the end of the end of the night by the bars and all that? A dirty dog. Bacon wrapped, bacon wrapped hot dog. And it's basically like these people will like make a turn a shopping cart into like I don't know if there's like a propane tank underneath or whatever, but they'll like turn a shopping cart into a flat top grill. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's, it's so like insanely unhealthy and like probably against every health code law in the county or whatever it may be, but they are so good. You come out after a USC game, they're surrounding the stadium. And it's like, it was like three bucks when I was going to games there and they're just passing out, you know, like onions, peppers, mayo, mustard, ketchup, whatever you want to put on it. It was good. It was good stuff. That, that was, people talk about their guilty pleasures in there. That was, that was definitely mine, but you can't really find that in, um, Cal or in um, Texas over here. So, what is your? How would you dress a hot dog? You're given a hot dog. You're given carte blanche on the toppings. Like if there's um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going. Where, I don't know what's going on where you're at, Trey. But I'm looking out the window and it's storming really hard right now. So I got distracted. Oh, it did just start raining here too. Good call. Yeah, I'm hoping the uh, tiny trees on my. Uh, new construction home over here hold up but well uh, <laughs> anyway i just put a little uh i'm basically just like a little ketchup if it's just a basic hot dog okay. a little ketchup maybe some diced onions i don't okay. know what about you i swear you guess you're you're anti-hot dog definitely not if ketchup. I, if I had to, if i had to go hot dog we're gonna bring zay in for the end of this conversation yeah, 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 we, need, we need zay's thought here I would sub, sub. what up zay i would sub the bun with a uh, large piece of butter lettuce. Now we go. You brought me off for this shit. <laughs> Come on, you serious? I guess we all get all way for chill, but you're putting butter lettuce on a hot dog. Come on, man. That's no, not- I'm putting the hot dog in the butter lettuce. It's going to serve as the bun. What now is butter lettuce? Yellow mustard in there and some dill pickles. Maybe I'll uh, chop up some spinach and sprinkle some spinach in there too. And if I have real bacon, 
I'll, uh, I'll crush up some real bacon, bacon bits and sprinkle some bacon, bacon bits on top of the hot dog too. Zay, what, what was your, uh, when, when, when you were playing ball, what was your like go-to post-game meal? Like long, good game or pat myself on the back or, or tough game. And I just want to like devour some food. Oh man, I'm a true Texan, Jeff. We go on the Whataburger after. Okay. That's a must. It's a what's, must. what's the order? Um, uh, it depends. I usually change it up. Right now, they're back on that Frito Pie Burger that they got with the Fritos what? and the chili. Yeah, Frito man. Pie Burger. What is yeah, this? Yeah, man. Commercial. God, stop hating, man. It's Fritos, chili, cheese. Well, the burgers, delicious patties, the bun. Come on, man. Can't beat that. Well, no, you, know what's, you know what's uh, sneaky good? I don't know if you've had it. The breakfast burger, but it's only available like overnight, basically. Yes. Or 11 to 11. When 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 we rolled up after the game in Houston, it was like 10, 15. So. What's a breakfast burger? Just a regular burger, Acheval? It's like, yeah, it's like the regular, just like uh, bun and then a, one patty, cheese, um, like a like a little like the little egg white you would get on like a McMuffin or something like that, and then three hash brown sticks. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, good. Say stuff. what you want about Whataburger. I know people thinking it's gone mainstream because now they in like Kansas and Patrick Mahomes brought it up there, and they're in different states other than Texas. You can still find the OG items that you grew up loving. They and they switch it up too with the specialty stuff. But I'm with you, Jeff. That breakfast burger on point. Yeah. Last time I ate at Whataburger would have been about 20 years ago, and it was definitely breakfast that I was ordering. I wouldn't have to order at Whataburger if I were to go there right now. And by the way, I probably wouldn't go to Whataburger because every time I drive by every Whataburger, there is a line of at least five to eight cars. Yeah. I don't want to wait in line for my food. But if I were to go to Whataburger, I would probably park the car and walk inside. So I'm getting my food a little bit quicker. That's how I am with that's how I am with Starbucks. I don't know how people sit in that damn Starbucks line like 20 cars deep. It's like going in or get get your ass out of your car and go order your coffee. People yeah. like waiting in lines for some reason. I'm way too impatient for that. Yeah, yeah, can't do it. Can't do it. It's, yeah, it's always my biggest issue with going to Franklin Barbecue. I did it once. And it was when we were when I was visiting on vacation. But like as a resident of the city, like it's really good barbecue. But I'm not going to wait in a four hour line for any food. Yeah. Period. Yeah. I um, Franklin. Thankfully, I, I got like I lucked out and got it at like a catered event one time or something, and then didn't so didn't have to do the whole line after that. Yeah. So not only the line, you got to wake up at like five a.m. just to get a decent spot. Because that thing be wrapped around the side. You ask a person in the back, when'd you get here? They say 7 a.m. Like, what the hell? Okay. People out there with their picnic chairs and shit. Like, Aaron Franklin, he's an absolute genius. Salute to him. But we got to make another one. We can have multiple. I feel like he has enough money to have multiple spots. I don't know. Is it just well, me? Well, here's the dirty little secret about, bri- about brisket in this town. You can get brisket that is that good. A lot of places and most of those places you're not having to wait in a line nearly that long like i get it it's not the experience of saying that you went to franklin barbecue and taking the picture under the sign is but you can get great brisket at style switch you can get great brisket at terry black's great brisket at law barbecue i'm assuming still i haven't been there in a while mickleweight i mean there's a lot of great spots to get brisket in this town hell even 
Rudy's, even our gas station barbecue is better than barbecue most other places. Oh, and Rudy, Rudy's is the, the bottom of the ladder in terms oh. of good barbecue in Central Texas. Dude, I, I'm I'm probably gonna get I'm probably gonna get crushed in the comments for this. Rudy's gets unnecessarily trashed on Twitter. Like Rudy's is good barbecue. Oh, uh, thank you, Jeff. Yeah. And then, thank you, Jeff. And then everyone's gonna say, Oh, California asshole over here, like thinks that Rudy's <laughs> is good barbecue. You know, but but I'm also just not like that. Like something for food, food wise, it's gotta be pretty bad for me to for me to be like like give it the give it the no go. Yo, Rudy's got me through plenty of meals. I'm taking dates to Rudy's, and it, it's That's it serves its purpose. Do. Like Zay, you know what you're you know what you're getting when you go there. You don't go there expecting Franklin. Like you go there expecting good, solid barbecue, exactly. not average barbecue in Austin, but good barbecue most everybody everywhere else. That's what Rudy's is. See okay. Daryl out here talking about the McDonald's of barbecue. Y'all being mad disrespectful. We <laughs> need to bring back the slogan "Worst Barbecue in Texas." Y'all remember that bit? That was that was tough. That wasn't good. That I know that didn't help any sales at all. I remember a little uh, kid listening to the radio and you know the other station and stuff like Rudy's, the worst barbecue in Texas. And I'm like, how the hell are they pulling that off? But then we would go to Rudy's and it would slam. Like that's where you went with the basketball team, the baseball team after games, and yeah, man, just shot down. Great barbecue for a situation like that. Did you see? You see what Steven said? The worst barbecue in Texas. Too, <laughs> I'm, I'm already getting. I'm already getting sent back. I'm getting sent back to California for. The, I told you that was not going to go over well. He said, uh, "You know they have return flights to Cali." Jeff, born and raised in Austin, Texas. You got my back, dog. I got your back. I, All right, you good. You good, man. Trey, Mister. Use my hot dog with buttered lettuce. Like, is anything that you say at this point credible? Like, you're very, you have some of the best knowledge I've ever seen, ever, ever met. Any, all that shit. Yet, when you say stuff like that, it gets very questionable. Then you hate on Rudy's. It's like, come on, man. I'm just going personal preference. Now, if we're going full throttle on barbecue, I'm going to tell you guys. Stop fucking around. Come up here to Cedar Park and go to Style Switch, where they do an awesome job with their brisket, with their pulled pork, with their beef and pork ribs, their half chickens, their turkey. And unlike the North Lamar location, which only does this on Wednesdays, they serve that cheesy tater tot casserole every day that they're open, lunch and dinner. It is my favorite side in the city. They do other really good sides, too. They've got great burritos. They've got great wings. And that Alabama white sauce is out of this world, too. But I'm also not a big hot dog either. That's the other defense I have to make for myself right now. I, you, you weren't on when, when we were talking about this, when he was asking about uh, how you dress your, your hot dog and the debates that go around about that. I said, if you're eating a hot dog, you're already losing that debate. Oh, my God. <laughs> Trey is talking about his hot dog, for God's sake. Chip, we need, we need you, we, we, we need you to get all of us back. We, we need you to get us back, back on the rails here, Chip. Trey and I, just since, since about 240, we've just, we've just gone off the rails. And this Trey, guy I'd ask you all your too, by no coincidence. I'd ask Trey how his hot dog's doing, but he just told me. So, um... <laughs> 
<laughs> What's up, fellas? today. Parker, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good, man. Good I was, to see you. I was talking to all the guys in there. Oh man, we just got done talking to Jonathan Brooks. That dude is all business. <laughs> he is. <laughs> he is all business. Let's let's hope that uh the Longhorns are all business if they get a lead on BYU and don't think that the 25-year-old Cougar uh, missionaries are going to be uh, like looking to just roll over because they won't. No, nope. definitely you know, not against Texas. You know, there are teams that just seem to have another team's number. I'm not saying that, but BYU is 4-1 and one against Texas. The only game Texas has won was 17-16. And BYU's wins against Texas have been by more than 24 points on average. Just mm. saying. Mm. Everybody needs to get that fucking eye of the tiger and bring it this week because this has the feel of that uh, that team that could just Ruin the season. Bring on the parade. Mm. Which means Texas will probably win by 30. So, you know. <laughs> okay. Ah. Uh, yeah. Let's go. you guys. Great show, fellas. Thanks, you guys. Let's go, Rangers. Oh. <laughs> oh.